Movie Podcast for Hail Caesar. My name is Tom Chick. I am here to discuss Hail Caesar with you, the listener, and Christian Maltansky. It's Christian Christian. <laughs> with a Hail Caesar tagline, Kelly Wand. It's the poor man's intolerable cruelty. Ah, uh, Kelly Wand, I see where you're going with this. Are, are there more taglines along those lines? Yeah, those posters really fired me up. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the listeners, there are, if you go to our last week's podcast, maybe at this week's podcast, if we get a poster, uh, a listener uh, named Cynic has been writing, has been photoshopping some posters up, incorporating Kelly Wand's taglines. So, Kelly Wand, what else might we see? Yeah, now these are a vanity project. And a photoshopped Hail Caesar poster. What other taglines might belong there? Channing Tatum plays a communist dancer for the first time since Magic Mike. Spoiler. Wow. That's a Magic Mike spoiler? Or that's a communist regime spoiler? Uh, what else do you got, Kelly Wand? What's some, do you have something shorter that might fit on a poster more readily, that might roll off the tongue a little easier? It's like Serious Man, but they didn't shoot the tornado yet. Again, spoiler. Wow, ruining wow. all these movies Jeez. for people, Kelly. What's going on over there? <laughs> That's a spoiler. <laughs> that pure gibberish. <laughs> Which one's that spoiling? Uh, uh, go on, keep running with these. We like options. It's about a movie called Hail Caesar, because that movie's about Jesus. I have questions about that, but we'll get into that when we get into the body proper of the podcast also for the listeners this is the end of our uh 2016 make us watch whatever you want fundraiser at the end of the podcast we will be choosing from the basically pulling a number from uh the internet and it will determine what movie we're going to be watching next week uh we'll read you the list of the movies that were that were that people chose we'll tell you how many votes each one got um we had a hugely successful fundraiser. This was awesome. You guys are all awesome. Uh, and, yeah, so stick around after the movie talk in the 3 by 3 We'll uh, reveal what's going to be the raffle. Yeah, we'll have the raffle and, and tell everyone the list. So stick See, around they can skip right to it, but you we could skip have right to wait. It. Right, we have to wait. Exactly, Kelly Wand, because we're not listening to a podcast. We're doing this live. Right, yeah. so it's two hours away for us. So Kelly Wand, why don't you let's let's get there as quickly as we can. Why don't you give me and Dingus a battle of wits involving an IMDB plot synopsis for a movie that neither of us knows, but both of us will try to guess. <clears throat> All right. Are you ready? I am ready. I, uh, who do you think? Who, Sorry, I'm not a good referee. I forget that I have to announce. Well, you also tend to favor one or the other of us each week. Yeah, that's true. Well, I'm trying to favor Dingus every week because you keep winning or no one wins, but Dingus' zone is very particular. It's another way of saying Dingus always loses. Well, yep, I, I never get any of these. That's the problem. Unless Jonathan Taylor Thomas is in them. <laughs> he did get that one, right? All right, Kelly, give us the synopsis. What, what do you got? Jonathan Taylor Thomas is in, in the Kurt Cameron Christmas movie, though, right? With the Santa suit. I still don't even know who Jonathan Taylor Thomas is. Uh, anyway, here's your battle of wits, Tom. Yes. That's not your battle of wits. Okay. 
knowing who Jonathan Taylor Thomas is, it will be irrelevant for this one. Uh, good to know. That's your hint. Marcellus is a tribute. In the Pulp time- Fiction. Oh, okay, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I thought Marcellus, that too. the tribune of Pulp Fiction. I just heard. I just went on the name. Marcellus. Yeah, that's pretty good, though. I read that and I wondered, oh, is this who that character's based on? Let's have a, a contest where Kelly says a name and we just yell the first movie that comes to mind. <laughs> the is, only- is, it is the first one to get in a guess, you know. There's, there is a timing component to this battle of wits. <laughs> I forgot that. Right, you feel really smart right now. But, it, <laughs> but some weeks Kelly says that now you can't guess for the rest of the contest. So, haha. Oh, right, right. But he didn't say that this time, so I'm still in the oh, right. Well, point. you guys haven't gotten one in a while, so now I'm... All right, so Marcellus is a what? A tribute? A tribune? He's a tribune. Ooh, uh, Life of Brian. <laughs> the word tribune made you go, ooh, <laughs> Life of Brian. Yeah, something with Romans, yeah. I don't know which the, whether the ooh or the Life of Brian's weirder to me, but all right. Uh, Marcellus is a tribune in the time of Christ. So far, He's, it could be Life of Brian. Go ahead. That's true, that's true. I just thought Tribune. He's in charge of the group that is assigned to crucify Jesus. Ben-Hur. Greatest story ever told. Passion of the Christ. Oh. Drunk, he wins Jesus' homespun robe after the crucifixion. Oh, uh, another homespun roadside attraction. He's tormented by nightmares and delusions after the event. The robe. Good, then guess he won. Shoot a monkey. I didn't get Passion of the Christ, so I went with the robe. I actually didn't know this was a real... Like the robe I stopped, a musical. It doesn't count. No. I don't it's, know. It's I never Joseph what and the Amazing Technicolor robe. Right. It's a musical. <laughs> can't. Hoping to find a way to live with what he's done and still not believing in Jesus. Wait, he was there. Never mind. He returns to Palestine to try and learn what he can of the man he killed and believe in him. <laughs> uh... Yeah, Dingus wins. So my plan worked. And this one was themed. I mean, it's appropriate, in, incidentally yeah. enough, for what we saw this week, Dingus, which was? Uh, this week, we saw <laughs> Hail, comma, Caesar, exclamation point. Mm-hmm. You should know that there was two punctuation marks in this movie. A lot of punctuation. It, so so you, if you say it, you would say, Hail, Caesar! I don't know how you would say it. Question mark, dingus? A 2016 American comedy movie about the importance of making movies. It was written, produced, edited, and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. It stars Alden Ehrenreich, Rafe Fiennes, Channing Tatum, Tilda Swinton, Josh Brolin, and George Clooney. Hail Caesar is rated PG-13 for some suggestive content and smoking. Thank God. I'm glad they got uh, that one there. Yep. I'd like to add... Uh, oh, yes, Kelly Wong. Go ahead. For the benefit of the MPAA, uh, I'm like... Uh, wait, who's the guy who shot... Liberty Valance? Oh, um, the kid with the hoodie? Who's the guy that, that shot guy. the kid with the hoodie? I'm a neighborhood watch uh, for the for the MPAA. Levon, oh, Trayvon, shoot, Trayvon, Trayvon, Trayvon Martin Mark. got shot. Let's just remember. I'm the okay, yeah, I'm the shooter. PG 13, 1950s. 
some Clooney strangulation, mild Brolin, and graphic scenery chewing. Okay, I had to look something up here. Uh, <laughs> it made... Shoot, it's trying to play the damn trailer. Shut up! Okay. Second People paid money to raffle a movie to us. <laughs> I forgot to look up stuff about this movie, and I have a mouthful of birthday cake now. It's very complicated. We have to do a lot of math for the raffle, so we're a little scattershot. And I have we, a mouthful of birthday cake now. I thought you were going to talk longer, Dingus. Jesus. I mean, darn. Uh, I mean, all right. On Metacritic, I am just now finding out it is at se- it, uh, 72 on Metacritic, which is the average from various re- uh, reviews. More math. Hail Caesar made on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it's at 81%. 81% of the reviews for Hail Caesar are positive. <laughs> if we look at its box office, it uh, wow, it opened at number two? What else opened that weekend? Uh, and it made $11 million. Oh, it didn't quite beat Kung Fu Panda, which made $21 million. Soft weekend, though. It did beat Star Wars Force Awakens, though. How about that? Cohen's beat Star Wars. That should be the headline. In its eighth yeah. week. And Star Wars' eighth week fell below a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. Huh. So enough of that nonsense. Kelly Wand, let's have some other nonsense by having you give us a hail sysopsis. Ugh. <laughs> it was, come on. Give me credit. I at least tried. A hail copsis. Hail Sopsis, a Hail Sopsris. It's weird because you're really good at video games, way better than <laughs> me at video games, but this is like a video game where you're like a little kid. Uh, okay, I'll take that. Yeah, I have a youthful naivete about what you call these synopses. Fair enough. I think you just like it longer, which is weird. Uh, Kelly One, let's have a Hopsis. Uh, it's Hail Seepsis. Hail Seepsis. <laughs> I like the sound of that, Kelly Wand. I would like you to drive it like you stole it. He's your very good friend. I get corrected if I if the Opsis name doesn't fit. It's not Hopsis. Hail Seepsis. James Brolin's his old boy inherent vice Sin City Gangster Squad and Goonies character again, so his voiceovers all. The dame was the color of a whiskey bottle full of lead tuned air, Brolin. Wait, you think that was you think that was Josh Brolin's voiceover? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Poor Michael like, Tambone not getting credit. Take Tom. Shut up! I didn't I thought I didn't expect to talk. Carry on, Kevin. <laughs> I didn't expect you to talk. You think I'm done now? Listen, we can't all be mathematicians, Tom, all right? His job's to prevent Tilda Swinton's clones from finding out how dumb actors are. (laughs) He's really stressed out because a company called Doc Martens wants to pay him a lot of money. When he's not listening to his voiceovers, Brolin goes to church to buy cigarettes from his priest. It's 1951, so everyone smokes like chimneys, but we're not allowed to see grace notes of historical authenticity, because Tom. Brolin's first extremely unexpected problem of the morning is that a male wanted to inseminate Scarlett Johansson. She's famous for being filmed smiling while she swims in a group. (laughs) That was entertainment back then. 
Meanwhile, George Clooney's playing Socrates in a movie about Moses. He's shooting the scene where he drinks the poison but forgets to die because he can't get the song his friend's playing on a fat lute out of his head. Another actor with a nose looks upset at this. Meanwhile, James Brolin has another problem. A cowman has accidentally gotten cast as a British butler in a movie about a rich woman's couch. Because of his foreign tongue, the cowman can't get the real French butler on the set, Jeremy Irons, to speak properly. They're all, here, repeat after me, taint yorn, twant yonder, no, taint yorn, twin shorn, taint twinulous, yorn, yitheresset, yorn, yorn, watch my lips, always look I, taint yorn, Canterbury. Yeah, fuck this, let's try something easier. Yeehaw, I say, howdy partner, merry weather mate, never squat with your spurs on. To blazes with the hounds. Where's the bibliotech? Creameries galore. Eventually nothing happens. The most alien-looking character from episode 7 leans over to me and croaks, What a goober. I was able to switch my British accent on and off at will during my scenes with Grand Moff Tarkin in episode 4. Like a tractor beam or C-3PO. I suddenly have a bleak image of myself 30 years from now doing elderly Natalie Portman impressions and get depressed. (laughs) Meanwhile, Channing Tatum plays a naval person in a documentary about semen. (laughs) To help win the war, he sings a song about how happy he is that women aren't allowed on the ocean, then steps on some dirt. Leah leans over to me and rasps. Most of my dance scenes in Jabber's Palace wound up on the cutting room floor because we never shot any. <laughs> the hell's wrong with her? She's a maniac. To spice up Channing Tatum's dance number, it ends with a guy on some stairs asking what time it is. Meanwhile, Channing Tatum's ten Russian screenwriter brothers hold Clooney hostage at Iron Man's house. They take him into the tape room. (laughs) Could have changed the set a little. In the table room, Eisenstein's all... Dosvidanya, comrade Clooney. You are probably wondering why we drugged you or already spit. God damn it. <laughs> uh, still doing all that math, Tom. In the table room, Eisenstein's all. Dosvidanya, comrade Clooney. You are probably wondering why we drugged your already fake wine and brought you here other than the 100,000 ruble ransom. Clooney's all. I am? John Wayne's all. Russian culture is very foreign to anything in their experience. We believe in free healthcare, evolution, bank regulation, diplomacy, sex education, gun control, space exploration, climatology, labor unions, literacy, motor skills, and thought. Clooney's all, oh, okay. He disrobes Niels and opens his mouth. Leah leans over to me and mutters, Speaking of Romans, George Lucas told me at the Red Tails premiere that Jabba the Hutt was modeled after Nero, and Howard the Duck was based on Caligula. Meanwhile, <laughs> to solve the cowman's accent woes, James Brolin has the cowman go on a date with Carmen Miranda, a Mexican lady who's famous for moving around with fruit on her head. 
To impress her, he makes a lasso twirl out in front of her house while she's inside and can't see. You know, for kids. The police arrest the writers for trying to read to Clooney. Channing Tatum shoots a climactic scene for a movie about an aircraft carrier being approached by a rowboat. His buddies throw him a dock, but it falls into the ocean and drowns. That was a bummer. Fucking Cohen's. I'm this out. The cowboy solves his accent problem by watching a movie with himself in it. He watches himself sing a song about a drunk person who drowns after blaming the moon for his alcoholism. He cheers up when the crowd he's watching the movie with laughs at the old man's hypothermia. Meanwhile, Clooney comes smashing through Brolin's window and goes, Hey, a bunch of hat guys told me about a book written by Chico Marx. I think it's called Dianetics. Brolin sighs and strangles Clooney for two minutes. Clooney's all, what are you trying to say? Tilda Swinton's twins walk on screen and go, what's going on in here? (laughs) You know, Tilda Swinton. James Brolin sighs, shakes his head and stares at us, still shaking his head while his voiceovers all. The moment George began suffocating, I realized I no longer wanted the Doc Martin job. My place was here, doing what I always dreamed of someday doing when I was just a kid's voiceover, throttling men in gladiator costumes. I guess when you think about it, we're all braid runners. I look over at the box containing Leah's head that John Goodman left on the seat beside me and go, a minor Cohen's, but it did have the most erotic Scarlett Johansson swimming pool musical number since Under the Skin. The end. Thank you, Kelly Wand. Just a quickie. Yes. Well, yeah, a quickie, but a goodie. Hail Caesar. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I know. Yeah, seriously. Well, what are you guys going to do? So you get out of this movie, and what's your, uh, what's the feeling you're left with? Um, it's not very funny for a Coen Brothers movie, but I liked that it was like the one thing they've ever made that's kind of cheery, so that. Oh, come on. Raising Arizona is so dark. Well, as far as as kidnappings go, I mean, which one is darker? That's Sucker Proxy. Oh, so existential. Kidnapping a baby or kidnapping a Hollywood star? So angst-ridden. Yeah, but people die in those movies. This movie's like guilt, like nothing bad happens to anyone. Mm, I'm sure there are other Cullen Brothers movies where that's the case. Don't you feel bad for the John Matusak character in, uh, I mean, the Catman Johnson? What's the fuck? I don't even know who that is. is. I have no idea what you're saying. You're saying a bunch of words. The I know that's my that's my downfall. But who's the motorcycle guy in Raising Arizona? Oh, oh, Tex Cobb, Randall Tex. Yeah. Tex Cobb. Yeah, he's a he's a sports he's a football his... player too, and I knew that. And yeah. you guys didn't. Ha ha. He was an right. acting. Well, anyway, so uh, I guess, I mean, it, I was wondering if this was ever going to get dark, and it never did, did it? It never did, and it's also about the blacklist, and it never got dark, which is kind of interesting. Like, that's kind of funny to me. So you say it's about the blacklist. Do you really think that? Not really. It's Cohen's blacklist. It has that in it, but I'm not sure I would say it's about that. I'm not sure I would say it's about any it's of just- the maybe five or six threads that I'm not sure belong in the same movie, and I'm not sure why they're in the same movie. Um, I think he's just doing, they're, they're just doing like a 50s variety show kind of movie. Interesting take. Okay. There's a little bit of everything. Okay. 
And so it's all really light because it's supposed to be the 50s. So it's like a, it's like a, it takes place in the Pleasantville 50s. All right. And it's a Coen Brothers movie. What do you, what do you think about what Kelly just said, Dingus? I'm going to, I'm going to moderate this podcast like a Republican debate. Dingus, you have uh, 30 seconds to respond. You were mentioned. Uh, I'd like to know why he's even here. Is that your Donald Trump? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Um, I, I can't wait to hear your Ted Cruz, by the way. <laughs> That's just my normal voice. Is that something Donald Trump said? Uh, one of the yeah, he won one of the debates that that was why he was he asked here? a question. The first thing he said, I think it was about Rand Paul. It was about Rand Paul. Uh, I thought he was asking about, it about the moderator. He did. Well, the moderator is like, and now tell us about the economy. And Donald Trump was like, well, first I'd like to know why is he even here? He's pulling at like five percent, or not even that, like one percent. He shouldn't even be on this stage. Like he just wanted to come out swinging at Rand Paul for some reason. Yeah. Hmm. But enough about politics. <laughs> Rand so, politics. So I, I don't think this is about the. I, I think this. I honestly, uh, watching this movie and then you know, one of the great things about uh, um, being tied to the uh, German standard as far as movie releases are concerned is that um, I got to see this movie at the beginning of the week and then kind of ruminated over the course of the week because I, I left the movie as. Uh, you know, we had a couple of listeners write in thinking, like, what the heck did I just see? What was this thing that I just saw? How do I feel about it? I don't think it's about the blacklist. I think it's about, I honestly just think it's a movie um, where, and I said this in my little mini synopsis, it's, I think it's honestly um, a movie where the Coen brothers are telling us why they continue to make movies in a system that may seem untenable and unfair and ridiculous and weird. Um, why would you continue to do this when you don't have to do it? Uh, I think that it's about why they make movies. Um, I don't think it's always successful. I don't think I always like what they're doing. I don't think it's very funny in a lot of parts. Um, but I think I love the ideas in it and I love the ideas that they're trying to convey that I interpret that this is, this is, this is one reason that they are giving. This is why we make movies. This is why we continue to make movies in this ridiculous system that we continue to make movies in. I, I want to know what the why is because I, I I I love that take. But I, is do they even answer it? Yeah, I think the I think I that think it's the fun. no I I disagree. No? I think that no. the answer is very succinct, and I think it is given by the one character in the movie who seems to be somebody who uh, who is. Um, uh, what word am I looking for? Um, oh gosh, I can't think of the word. I, I just can't think of a word. Uh, sorry. I'm assuming you're uh, talking about Josh Brolin. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about Josh Brolin. Uh, right. So he, he's he kind might... of the, clearly the, the sort of the center of the movie. It seems to mainly want to be about him. Right. The only yeah, so, so he. It, it might seem to be uh, the word I'm looking for is cynicism. So, uh, so um, it might seem to be about a character who is saying something that is cynical, but I think this line is not cynical based on the decision he makes at the end of the movie and this line, because the picture has worth. And I believe that that is what this movie is about, because in the end, I think that they decide to make movies in this system that probably beats them down more than they care to admit, or, you know, sometimes I guess they show it to us a lot. Um, I think that they're telling us this is why we do it, because in the end, the picture has worth even if it's a goofy picture about sailors singing in a bar or the hutsucker proxy or whatever in the end the picture has worth this has worth 
Uh, and I think that when he says that, it might seem to be a cynical thing that he's saying to a star. But I think because Eddie um, is saying this, and he's saying it after making this, or in the midst of making this decision where he's talking to a priest about, am I going to make something that is, am I going to make a decision where I'm going to go for something that's comfortable, or am I going to do something where I where I know I'm doing the right thing. He honestly thinks his job as fixer is doing the right thing. And so this, this, this moment where he says, because the picture has worth, I think is them talking to us. And that's how I choose to interpret it. Okay. Uh, then do, do you feel then that that relates at all? And I don't know the answer to this, uh, that that relates at all to the, the sort of the, the humorous look at the blacklisted communist writers um, and the thread about, uh, you know, a, a celebrity being kidnapped and the dim-witted celebrity sort of solving the case, um, all the stuff with like, – like, do you think that, that everything fits into that or do you think there were some things that fit better than others? Uh, did it feel kind of cohesive to you, Dingus, with that perspective? Um, no, it didn't, and, and this is why, because the other, the other branch that I would take on this movie is that from my perspective – um, I think this movie is the Coen brothers trying to do the um, trying to do the thing that I just said, trying to give their interpretation to us of why we make movies by making their Wes Anderson movie. Um, I think they're trying to interpret Wes Anderson or make a Wes Anderson movie in a Coen brothers style. I think it fails in a lot of ways. Uh, but that moment where Channing Tatum is standing on the prow of that ship after they've lined up the, those two rocks perfectly and that submarine rises up, all that stuff with him jumping on and the dog jumping, I immediately got this whole Wes Anderson vibe. And I started to think back over the weird things that happened in the movie, those, that scene the, with all of the writers where they're where they're preaching at him and it and the way the, those scenes are set up and the way those little sandwiches are cut and all those things. I think that that's attempting them attempting to make a Wes Anderson movie while they're making those points. I don't know why they're doing that. I think it might just be a weird stylistic choice that they're doing. Uh, but no, I don't, I don't think those things work. I, other than that idea of why aren't the writers being paid them making comments upon Hollywood? I think they're stacking up the deck against Hollywood uh, even in the, the 50s idea, although this was originally supposed to be, I mean, their original idea from like 2004 was that this was a troop of actors doing a play, an old Roman play, and they just shelved it for a while, and then they brought it back as this. Um, I think it's them stacking the deck, deck against Hollywood so that they can come in at the at the end and say, this is why we do this. Okay, I'll buy that. Kelly Wand, any, any uh, disagreement? You take issue with any of that? You were mentioned. Uh, I thought of the Wes Anderson thing while I was watching the submarine part too, so I think I'm with Dingus on that one. Um, and I really like his. It's a very interesting take. Uh, I, just, I have uh, no idea if it's right. It's just what I came to as I was writing about the movie this week. That, that this is them just saying that to us. The whole, but the, but how do you work the '50s into that theorem, or is that irrelevant? I don't think it's irrelevant because I think that this was a transitional part in Hollywood history. Um, when, when so many things were changing as far as, um, like they are now, kind of, kind of, I mean, th this was the, this is the time in Hollywood. I think if I get the time period, right. Um, when the government was taking, uh, distribution away from the, the studios, 
um, and separating those two things. And television was starting to come into its own at that time, I think. And so they were doing these weird spectacles like that, um, like the swimming thing or the big, the big historical epics or, or that the, the big dance with the, with the, with the sailors. I think this, this was very much a, a weird part of Hollywood where the, the studios were having something taken away from them and they were trying to compensate. And they were also really worried about TV on the horizon, I think. When, when you uh, say the government that, taking distribution from the studios, what, what do you mean? I think that, and I could be wrong about this, but I think, didn't the courts, uh, at some point separate the studios from being able to do their own, have their own theaters. And so that distribution had right. to be separate oh, from oh, what oh, the theaters yeah, were. Yeah. 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 Right. Exhibitors. And I, and I think that was going on at this particular time. And I think that whole sequence where, where, um, Mannix, Eddie Mannix, is that his name? Is meeting with all of those people in the focus group who are the, the religious leaders is very much related to that whole focus group thing that, that has been pervasive, but is, you know, very particular now. Like, let's not upset anybody, um, especially since we have to split everything we do so many ways right now. The problem I have with that interpretation thing is, is he did. I don't think he cared what they said. Like, the, the picture's already shot. I don't think he was going to change anything. Right. Uh, like a focus group, they listen to idiots hold forth, and then they make changes according to that. Right. This seemed more like him managing public opinion the same way he kind of managed the Tilda Swinton characters. I got that impression. Right, um, but I, I think those are kind of related. Sure, could be. Okay. Um, all right. How did you feel about this, Tom? I don't know if you've really weighed in. I just thought it was a mess. I have no idea what they were doing or why they were doing it. I mean, I, I like your take on it, Dingus, but if that was the point they were trying to make... They sure did hide it uh, because that that one sequence where he's slapping Clooney into shape, uh, I'm not entirely sure he believes what he's saying. Like, I I don't think he's got I, – I think in a way he's a willing dupe to this Mr. Skank guy in New York. Um, I don't think there's a lot of – I don't find him that – thoughtful or a character like he obviously is pensive about what he does i love the fact that he that he's religious but i don't think that he's taking any sort of ethical stand like he'll do whatever it takes for mr skank he's based to run the studio for him right right a fixer um right who is considered a real hellion and and that's what is like dingus is saying that basically he stands for a creative integrity for doing it because a picture has, has power uh and i don't i don't see either the historical counterpart or the character that Brolin was playing, right. as really having any creative integrity. He doesn't right. care that Hobie Doyle has to play a, a dramatic part, that Hobie Doyle is basically ruining a movie. Like, I think the Coen brothers wouldn't wouldn't let that happen. Uh, and Dingus, you talk about uh, them dealing with the system. One of the things I love about the Coen brothers, I get the sense they can do whatever they want, and they sometimes do. And this is one yeah. of those instances uh, now, of course, I also – I'm sure they're very clear on what's wrong with Hollywood, with the studio system. Uh, so I, I – but I do think in a way they have the luxury of, of, of working outside of that, uh, of not having to deal with it. Um, well, and, and I think I this have, is an example, by the way. I, I think if this had been made in a studio system – like if they had had producers breathing down their neck, I don't think anyone would have let them make this movie. Um no, but I my two they theories had... are either they they were fucking around, which is fine, or they're mocking audience expectations. Like this is the movie you would want us to make, right? 
I got the sense more just just fucking around. Like it, it really did feel like, hey, we it's love old fun. movies. Let's right. get a big budget and get a bunch of celebrities. You know, we'll 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 make. Dingus, I'm not surprised to hear you say it was from a stage play at one point. I mean, about a troupe of actors doing a stage production to to but, this because it does kind of feel like bits and pieces of different projects or different kinds of movies or even different tones. You know, the and preciousness last... of that submarine thing is very Wes Anderson, but I don't think I don't think that that's true of a lot of other parts of the movie. Um, so it just felt like a ramshackle Coen Brothers goof off mm. that they are uniquely able to do. And in a way, oh, it reminded it reminded me of Crimson Peak in that Guillermo del Toro is just going to do a Victorian ghost story, right. regardless of whether anybody cares about that or wants to see it or what they expect. It's like Mars because, Attack. Because that's what he wants to do. So he does a Victorian, and he doesn't subvert the genre in any way. He doesn't make it pal- palatable to a modern audience. He makes a straight-up Victorian ghost story, and people go and scratch their heads. They're like, what? What is this? I think this is that kind of thing. They just wanted to make a movie about this golden era of Hollywood with little hints of, of the changes to come. Uh, and it's, it almost had this, like, screwball quality to it maybe for how the, random some of this stuff was i've noticed that when i read i really like to read the exact opposite stylistically whatever the last book i read was and their last movie was inside lewin davis so maybe well, I love, yeah yeah and, and again that's you know the, the fact, right this is these are the same people who did a serious man i think is, is, right. is laudable in and of itself that they have so many different voices even when they don't work for me even when i think it's a mess like they want to break it's fascinating to me what <laughs> they do themselves. and by the way, there are some scenes in here which are ingenious. I love yeah. – like th- this movie is – and this is kind of why I feel it's so ramshackle. There are scenes in here that I loved, scenes that I thought were okay, and some scenes that I just thought fell entirely flat and didn't work. Um, but the scenes I loved, I absolutely loved. That bit with Ray Fiennes and, and the guy yeah. playing Hobie Doyle, that was that was ingenious. I could have watched that for 90 minutes. Yeah. I mean, just show me Ray Fiennes giving this kid line readings. Um, and to be fair, the moment Ray Fiennes shows up, I immediately uh, yes. thought of Grand Budapest. I mean, oh, oh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I just immediately was like, oh, thank God, because I was already at that point going, what, what's going on here? Uh, yeah, I was so grateful when he showed up, and he does. He so drives Grand Budapest Hotel, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. I like Channing Tatum's dance too. I, I liked him too, but other than, I guess, didn't get maybe character. other than Alden Ehrenreich and Ray Fiennes. I mean, this is the the point where I would uh, depart from you as far as them being so independent. Is I think this movie would have been so well, more well served if they had used a bunch of people that we didn't know, like Alden Ehrenreich. I mean, I love that guy. I think he's he's incredible in this movie. Yeah. Um, and I didn't even. I mean, I didn't know where the hell I'd seen him before. I don't it, think we, you have. Had you? Yeah, yeah. We uh, you know, once I started poking around, we, we he was he was the uh, he was the kid, or not the kid, but the son in Blue Jasmine. He's, he plays Danny, the the kid who you know who um, Alec Baldwin like who who he's his kid. He's at Harvard. He's totally scandalized. He quits Harvard and he winds up selling used instruments in some used instrument store, and that's where Kate Blanchett finds him. Um, he's great. He's great in that movie. I mean, just watching some of those scenes, he's really great. But he shines in this movie. I mean, I, I totally agree with you, Tom. I would watch. I could have watched the two of them go back and forth in their little like, "How are you going to say this line?" thing forever. 
and the payoff for that, it's complicated cut. Like that was a genius. That was right. that was a fantastic little nugget. By the way, that that kid Alden, what's his last name? Dingus. Aaron Reich. Alden Aaron Reich is uh, with another young actor named Ty Sheridan, who we saw in Mud. Uh, he's in a really good movie called The Stanford Prison Experiment. Uh, Ty Sheridan and Alden Aaron Reich are the leads in a movie I'm super psyched about. It's been going back and forth for a while called Yellow Birds, which is due out sometime uh, this year. Uh, which is based on an awesome book about uh, soldiers in Iraq. So I'm, I, I like both of those actors a lot. Oh, uh, Air, Yellow Birds. Yeah, I got that book. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. I gave it to you. Yeah, I, you I did. I got it from, from a friend named Bruce Garrick. So. Yeah, yeah, and you handed it off to me. Awesome. And, and I also saw that he was in something called Stoker, which I never saw. Oh, right. Yes, of course. Of course. I mean, I haven't seen Stoker either, but I remember looking that up and thinking, right, he's from Stoker. Yeah. But but I just thought that guy was luminous. I just thought he's just one of those, and, and maybe it's just the way they shot him. They just plucked this guy out. And I wish they would have kind of done more of that rather than just have their cast of huge stars, but that's them. This is how we're going to make this movie by having all these, you know, having our cast of players play these parts, you know. I and, did notice something funny in looking up some of the actors. So the, the woman who plays uh, Josh Brolin's girl friday like his, his right hand girl his secretary chick mm-hmm. um I, I liked her a lot so i was like what has she been in she hasn't worked since 2008 i don't know what the story was with her but they obviously found her or had seen her in something uh, and gave her this really awesome part uh so i liked that you, you know they they get you know francis mcdormand let's give her something to do but then also yeah, this this right. relative unknown who hasn't worked in eight years um and I think they originally, it, it, from what I read about this movie, they considered this part of what they wanted to do is, a, is called the Numbskull Trilogy, I think. Ew. What are the other two in that? Uh, well, it's it's George Clooney and Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? That's him called as, the Idiot Trilogy. Was it Idiot Trilogy? Yeah. All right. Um, him then in the movie Intolerable Cruelty. Is that what you said, Kelly? Yeah. Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And uh, Burn After Reading. No, this I think... Old- it's, I think it was all George Clooney. It was this uh, intolerable, intolerable cruelty? For some reason, I can't say those words. And then, the, and then George Clooney's in Burn After Reading, though. Yeah. Oh, is he? Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. He's an this, idiot. This reminded me. Brother Mark, this reminded me a lot of Burn After Reading, by the way. But with the exception, uh, actually, wait, is that if I just blown it? Yes, that is my over. I had to double check uh, <laughs> because I kind of thought Burn After Reading was also kind of a mess. It had ingenious scenes, some that didn't work so well. Uh, but what I liked about Burn After Reading, even though it was a mess and I had similar problems with it, why I liked it better than this is it, it was a lot darker. I, I kept waiting for this to get dark, and it never did. And Kelly Wan, you liked that, but I was a little disappointed because I, if it, this had some like violent apocalyptic ending like Day of the Locust or something, I might have felt like there was more of a payoff. Um, <laughs> so I was kind of waiting for that shoe to drop, and it never did, and suddenly the movie's over. Uh, that Burn was really After, interesting. Yeah. Burn After Reading does do that, by the way. Uh, and I also like that Burn After Reading isn't such an inside joke about a specific period. Uh, Burn After Reading doesn't require this knowledge or appreciation or enjoyment of something as specific as this era in Hollywood. Right. Uh, it's got so, that amazing ending, too, with uh, J.K. Rowling. Like, it's all just leading up to that speech, basically. Yeah, the J.K. Simmons speech is awesome. Jack and and that's, a, that's a great payoff. Well, is this just kind of ends? Well, you know, according to, but I mean, if you go by Dingus's uh, interpretation, which I like, you know, if the payoff is Josh Brolin, Brolin's line about movies have worth, that that kind of works. I mean, if they feel that's yeah. their payoff, 
Um, it's the movie that ba- the studio boss and Barton Fink wanted Barton Fink to write. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's absolutely right on, actually, yeah. And yeah, and speaking of apocalyptic endings, it's again, I was sort of like, okay, well, they're just goofing around and they're going to all, they're going to put some nasty, mean-spirited bow on the package at the end, and no such thing happened. Uh, I did love the reference. I, I loved this take on on uh, blacklisted communist writers, that they really are this insidious underground yeah. group that's uh, not above, uh, you, you know, that's in the pocket of Russia. Um, yeah, the, the, the Soviets are really working with them, yeah, and they'll kidnap people. And, and that's and how they do it. They spike wine on a movie set that the actor's drinking in front of other actors. <laughs> right, they're, they're, yeah, some of the extras. And, and this so, idea that they're only communists because they're disgruntled, they're not getting paid enough. Uh, that right. they, not, that, not necessarily that they have any philosophical integrity. Right. Um, so that, that, was, that was – I thought that stuff was funny. My favorite, favorite, favorite thing about this movie – and this is maybe indicative of how much I wasn't into it. But my absolute favorite joke in this movie was that the dog was named Engels. <laughs> Didn't work for you. Because of his politics? Well, they're communist. You know, Engels was basically with Marx, the founder of, of right. Marxist theory and communism. And, just, you know, this communist group would have a, a, a oh, yappy really little dog who's bugging everyone. And its name is Engels. And they have to tell. And it drowns. Oh, no, it doesn't drown. Uh, it, it, it does. It affects as well. It drowned it in your synopsis, Kelly Wand. It drowned it. That's the thing. That's where you think it's going to get dark. And then it's like they went, what's the studio notes version for this, for our script? And then they just went through the whole thing and like sanitized it. Uh, why would someone back then, I thought this was weird. Why would someone back then quit smoking? Because his wife's bugging him. Right, right. But why yeah, would his wife want him to quit smoking? Like, what? I. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, I'm not Maybe saying it's unrealistic or anything. I don't doubt that. It, but I'm just curious, literally out of curiosity. Because that's the modern 1950s. Well, is it? Or did people actually back then sometimes realize, hey, it's making me feel like crap. I shouldn't do this. I could see a wife. I thought right? it, was, it was Alison Pill who played the wife, right? Yep. yep. All right. Yeah. I could see a wife just saying, I don't like this in my house. I don't like this around the kids. It's bad for it's your like, health. Cut it out. I mean, it, and it would totally it change the character. The health, What'd you say? They did. did she know it was bad for their health? No. Because back then they would have commercials that would say, you know, give yourself, give, put more pep in your step with uh, with with Virginia Slims or whatever. Yeah. That, that's why did. I'm asking is why – I mean – and you might be right. Like, Dingus might be right is she was maybe just had a super clean house they or something. smoking too. Well, I just thought that was a weird detail. It felt very contemporary, but I didn't understand back yeah. then before they really realized the health problems with smoking when it was so pervasive – uh, and frankly, by the way, I don't recall there being that much smoking in the movie. No, because it's PG-13. So <laughs> shut up. There wasn't, but there was enough. Maybe it's that Maybe it's uh, that one of the Coen brothers' wives wants them to stop making movies. Like, will you stop making movies? This is killing us. Uh, well, one of them was in it, so I don't think it was that one. It could have been. Yeah, that's true. But her, but she almost got choked by the, that. Was I, I hated. Again, that. that's why I was like, okay, it's going to get dark. <laughs> that's <laughs> what I was thinking. Is it's going to the, the editor's going to die? And, and no, she just clears her throat and she's fine. See, studio notes. And that again felt, by the way, like out of a like just what a weird detail. Why, why, why was that in there? Because it just seemed odd, like to have this this kooky. Editor chick. Oh, she smoked a lot, by the way. But that just yeah. seemed like an odd touch. Right. She's based on someone real, too. Oh, is she? Okay. Yeah. A famous movie cutter. 
It's well, funny that they cut their own movie and they had that in there. So what are y'all's overs? Dingus, what, what's something that you liked better than this? All right, my over is a, a movie about making movies uh, called Bowfinger. Um, ew. Which, what do you mean, ew? Isn't Bowfinger terrible? I don't know. I haven't seen it forever. Uh, it's not great, but it's very it's very funny. It's, you know, Steve Martin. And Eddie Murphy. Yeah, and Eddie okay. Murphy. It's got some really funny stuff in it. Um, it's about guerrilla filmmaking. Uh, and uh, uh, the yeah. there's, there's some good stuff in it. It's, it's not... Uh, it's not a great movie by any uh, stretch of the imagination, but I would put it slightly above this. Does Steve Martin direct it himself? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, no. Graham stretches in it, too. I don't remember who directed that, actually. Yeah, it's Steve Martin. Is it? All right. I think so. Could have been Frank Oz for all I know. I have no idea. That's Dirty yeah, Rotten Scoundrels. Uh, all right. All right, so you're over as Bowfinger. Kelly Wan, what's the movie you like better than uh, Hail Caesar? By the way, real quick, and why is it called Hail Caesar? Because that's the, the name movie. of the movie within. Well, why isn't it called, you know, Merrily We Dance or one of the like? Well, I, it, it just felt like, what? Why are they? Really, that's the name of the, the the movie that's in the movie, which isn't even that big a deal. I mean, there are a bunch of movies. Why isn't it called the thing that Alden Emmerich is 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 recruited to be in? Uh, because I think that Hell Caesar is is widely looked at as a way of praising the person who is ruling the entire world, and the studio rules their world. And I think and that it's. That's, that's what they're it's basically also, saying. That's my interpretation, is that they're saying, yeah, it's the epic. Yeah, we probably shouldn't uh, be doing this, but we're going to keep doing it because the picture matters. It's the big so, studio it's, it's basically hail to the studio. Hail Columbia. So basically right. Hollywood is a, a Pax Romana. Oh, <laughs> right. uh, it's Deus Ex Romana. I mean, I wondered about that. I wondered, is, is, are we supposed to think Josh Brolin or Mr. Skank is Caesar? Uh, and if so, well, okay, I'll, I'll, no, I'll accept but, that. I think the, sim- the simpler idea is that they just liked the sound of the title and they had it from that first inkling of the story they were going to make about that troop of actors. Well, it's also actually the name of a movie, by the way. I didn't realize yeah. this until I was looking up on IMDb. Oh, what's this Alton Emmer guy? Uh, there's actually a movie from 1954 called Hail Caesar. There's another one, isn't there? That's my over, by the way. No, it's not, Kelly Wand. Oh. <laughs> there's Nobody- another I- Hail Caesar by some... Like teen actor in the eighties or nineties, I can't remember what it, oh. what it is though. All right, well, it just again, that just seemed like something like why would they name it that? Like, I, there are plenty of their titles that I don't understand, but I feel like I don't understand them because they're too deep for me. I didn't get the sense that that was the case with with naming their movie after the movie inside the movie. Uh, all right, so uh, what are your un- oh Kelly Wan, what is your over for reals, if not the actual Hail Caesar? Uh. What's that Kevin Bacon movie? Hollow Man. Footloose. About movies? Oh, The Big, big deal. Picture. The Big, big picture. picture. Shoot. Yeah, that's my over. It's a big picture or a big deal? The Big Picture. Oh, shoot. Okay. And why is that your over, Kelly Wand? I don't know. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> Kelly Wand, that's entirely appropriate considering the movie that, it, that, you're, uh, that it's the over for. <laughs> uh, my under... And Dingus, this one, this one is going to – I'm not actually bracketing it that closely. But as far as movies that I feel like have way too many threads in them that I don't feel relate very well, my under – and Dingus, are you sitting, Dingus? Yes, I am sitting down. My under is Crash. Oh. Which uh, one? Which one? The, the Paul Haggis one. Uh, where it's got like all those threads so poorly related. The difference, though – 
Crash, all of it is bad, and, and Crash yeah. is so full of itself and has Crash this is reprehensible. This I would say preening sense of importance about what it's saying, and, and there's so many actors doing so many different things. That, so I just when I think of movies that that are just kind of a mess, uh, Crash is kind of near is way near the bottom. So I'm being a little bit I'm not bracketing too closely, um, but as far as movies that have that problem, this isn't as bad as Crash. I would say. Um, hmm. All right, Not Dingus, as bad as Crash. That can go on a poster. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dingus, what is your under? My under, and this is basically um, processing the idea where uh, the ideas in the movie are probably better than the movie, and they kind of sink the movie a little bit. Uh, because all that stuff where, the, where he's sitting in the in the writer's room, you know, where the, the cleaner, he, he, she asks, are you one of those Hollywood people? And then she points him into the room, and he goes in there. And then he has to listen to them talk about the, I don't know, the the dual nature of man, and yada yada yada, blah blah blah. Um, all that stuff might be very pertinent in another movie, but I just think that the movie doesn't stand up to any of those ideas and doesn't serve any of them very well. Uh, and so that the movie that I would put under this is a movie that I had to see last year called Irrational Man. <laughs> I watched that on the plane, brah. You watched it. What'd you think? Yeah. Um, I think it jumps the shark. I think it starts out good and then it turns into match point. Too much. Oh yeah. You're definitely right about that. But there's this whole sequence of he's a philosophy like, professor and he's just spouting ideas off constantly. Right. And it's just Woody Allen telling us, these are my ideas of what philosophy is. It's like, I read this in a novel or I read this in a book at one time. I read a bunch of philosophy books and now I'm just going to spout this stuff on the page, and the movie just can't quite – it sinks. I, I mean, that briefcase sinking is, is kind of that, that moment where I think the movie kind of like sinks under the weight of these ideas that it can't quite hold up. Ha, ah, you saw a rational man. Yeah, you can say that as many times as you want. <laughs> uh, before we get to Kelly's under, I, I, I'm normally a sucker for George Clooney, and I love what he does in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, he didn't really work for me here, and I don't know if it's because I didn't have much patience for the movie. But was that was how did what did you guys think of George Clooney? He's not in it as much, so he doesn't have much screen time, um, and it's a very limited role, so it's sort of like a thankless. But I he was making me laugh. Okay, there. I like his look. I know you're a sucker for George Clooney as well. Did did he work for you as well, playing the dim bulb here? No. I did, I, again, uh, one, of, one of the things I tried to say earlier was almost other than Alden Ehrenreich and Ray Fiennes, and maybe on a side note, Channing Tatum, I think they could have replaced the entire cast with other people. And I, you know, even Tilda Swinton, I, as much as I love her, uh, give a bunch of other people a chance if this is the point you want to make. And George Clooney, first among them. I love that guy. <laughs> I, love, I love seeing him do stuff. He's but, the first one you would kick out. Yeah, that's cool. awesome. Uh, you well, yeah. here's the thing. He's supposed to be a bad actor, too. He's well, he's supposed to be a celebrity. I mean, I think that's right, why right. George, George Clooney is, because yeah. he needs someone who actually is a celebrity to play their celebrity. Right, that's fine. Um, but, and, and he, I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I just didn't buy what he was doing, really. Yeah. Mm, I think he was doing what he was supposed to be doing, but maybe the conception. I don't know. I and also, was, before we get to your under, because I know Dingus's answer on this. It felt awfully gratuitous to me, even though I, I enjoy watching Channing Tatum dance as much as the next guy. It seemed awfully gratuitous to me that they showed that whole musical number. Dingus, I'm, oh, I know you love that. Kelly, one, you loved it too. All right. Yeah, it was funny. 
Why it was really watch, cheap. Why did we watch that whole number, but we didn't get to see more of that movie with uh, the – what was that movie called, by the way? Oh, then Alden Emmerich gets pressed into service to, to be the lead in, that Hobie Doyle gets – Oh, you wanted to see more of that one? <laughs> exactly. Why didn't we get to see more of that? In 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 addition to having, I liked all the movies they were making. I wanted to just keep watching. Oh, and we did get to see a lot of that Merry Old Moon thing as well. Blame that was the moon. good. Yeah. The, the obvious answer is is because he couldn't do the one scene. I mean, if if they would have imported him into the Channing Tatum point a role. They would have had to make jokes about him not being able to dance. Oh, I thought he was like in the whole movie. That was like his. The, the joke was that was his only scene in the movie. No, no. The joke is that yeah. he can't even do that scene. Okay, right, right. So I wanted to see him unable to do more, more scenes. Oh, yeah. If we're going well, to see how awesome Channing Tatum is, I also want to see how terrible Hobie Doyle is. Well, Lawrence Lorenz won't even get past. He's like, I won't. It, I'm not even going to do any more with him. That's it. I just hmm. want to see a movie with those two. Just Cohen's, if you're listening, just a buddy comedy with Ray Fiennes and Alden Emmerich playing that character. Show us the entire movie they make. Yeah, yeah, do that. All right, Kelly Wan, what is your under? What's a movie that's not quite as good? I'm sure you're. Wait, I have one last thing to say. I just yes, yes, Kelly Wan. Also, like Serious Man. Okay, they're very Jewish, and so maybe the movie's like a comment on how dumb it is to be Jewish and then like live through the '50s Bible movies. Christ, Christ, oh, how horrible! How how it feels to be Jewish when you're living through all those epics. Yeah, the thing is, though, they don't like. Then why is Josh <laughs> Brolin a devout Catholic? Like, I felt if that was a perspective they wanted to show the absurdity of what it must be like to be Jewish. Um, why is Josh Brolin a devout Catholic then? Because he's a Jew, but he doesn't know it. <laughs> okay, so that's discovering okay. past by the end. But his father did marry. That's his moment of seeing. Who did Christ. his father marry? Josh Brolin's father. Yeah. I oh, I did not remember that. Who did Who did his father marry? Barbara Streisand. Oh, the actual actor Josh Brolin. I thought I thought you were talking about Man- the character Mannix. No, no, I, I was not talking about Eddie Mannix. Okay, right. Uh, I will say I. Uh, so there, there's a movie called The Night Before that's directed by Jonathan Levine, who did a movie called All the Boys Love Mandy Lane, which we love, and then he went on to do a bunch of mediocre movies. The best thing he's done since All the Boys Love Mandy Lane, and this isn't saying much, this is more judgment on his other movies, like Warm Bodies, uh, The Wackness. The best thing he's done oh, since the all, the, all the Boys Love Mandy Lane is a movie called The Night Before. Do you guys know what this is? No. No. Seth Rogen, Anthony Mackie, and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt are buddies who are going out for Christmas Eve for oh. one last night on the town in Manhattan. Uh, and uh, it's kind of like a uh, – supposed to be like a Christmas uh, buddy movie and about the spirit of Christmas and the holidays and how New York just lights up and becomes magical, um, but in the context of an R-rated comedy. So there's this awesome moment – where Seth Rogen, who's very Jewish in the movie, and he's wearing a sweater with a big old Star of David, he totally trips out on, like, mushrooms and coke, and he gets stoned, and he ends up going to a midnight mass uh, and and freaking out. So as far as the, absur- the absurdity that it must feel to be Jewish in the context of something that's so Christian, I recommend the movie The Night Before. All right. So it'll make you feel like Clooney does when he sees the Christ. Uh, exactly. Yeah. You know what? See more. By the way, that is where like 
just Clooney doing faces where he's pretending to it's act. Hilarious, right? That it's, I liked. Yeah. Not only that, it's the the great like shots from Clancy Brown's point of view, uh, yeah. where, where it's clear that it's a different shot on a different day. I mean, there's this, there's some. I think is if we end up rewatching this movie over time, you'll see like a lot of the comments they're making about they're making jokes about the way those movies were filmed. Well, certainly the bit where uh, they're doing the last scene and he's saying, oh, my, my face has been scarred and blinded by the glory of God. So, you know, and be, to explain why they don't have the, that actual actor there. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the brazier scene, as they call it. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Divine presence to be shot, Tom. Yes, uh, that was awesome. I'll tell you also, uh, Kelly Wand, um, in, and this would work for you too, Dingus, uh, in The Night Before, the because all these Christmas movies have like a magical angel who like right. shows up and grants wishes or whatever. The magical angel in this is Michael Shannon playing a drug dealer. So it's like Deadpool. What? Nothing like oh. Deadpool. It's like Spider-Man. It's like It's a Wonderful Life, but with Michael Shannon as the... Isn't there an angel in It's a Wonderful it's Life? It's like Scrooge, and he's the Carol King. It's like it's Green Mile, but without a magical black friend. Kelly, on give us your exam, and then let's do a three by three. Uh, I learned something about relationships, by the way. I'd like to share with you after my under. First, give us your under. Yes, I hope that's not an awkward segue at all. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) Very smooth. My under is uh, an Alan Smithy film, Burn Hollywood Burn. Oh, what is that? I've heard of it. It's that Joe Esterhouse thing with Ryan O'Neill, and it's a fake documentary, and Eric Idle's in it, and they talk to the screen, and Sylvester Stallone and Jackie Chan are in it. So Joe Esterhouse directed it and took his name off of it? No, Arthur Hiller directed it. Yeah, Arthur Hiller did. Okay. God, I hate that movie so much because they... I know. They decided... The only reason they hate it is because they decided to co-opt a public enemy uh, song just to, like, tap it on to the end of their movie because they couldn't figure out what the fuck to do with their movie. It cost like $30 million or something. And it made 50000 <laughs> <laughs> Which is still a lot if you think about it. Well, yeah, I could you use watch it. it. You'll go, this made 50000 like you'll be appalled. That it even made but also, speaking of relationships, uh, impregnating mermaids can be done. Uh, One, two, how does that work, Kelly Wan? Getty's eggs. I don't think you know how fish work, Kelly Wan. What? Fish work with eggs. I know how to generate a number randomly just by thinking about it. <laughs> We don't even have that technology in cubes yet. You know, speaking of things that I don't think Kelly knows how they work, yeah, what's this week's 3 by 3 Kelly Wand? And oh why my does God. it familiar to me? Because we did uh, advice. Yeah, not only do totally we do advice, you did advice. You chose that <laughs> as a 3 by 3 So this isn't you know advice, what? these are what? Yes. Words of wisdom. Ah, totally very different, different from advice. advice. I see. Right. Well, because it's more creative. You get to pick how it's different. It's on you. Dingus did kind of cover up. for you. Dingus did have a, a fair enough explanation for this. Dingus, how do you how do you justify this? How do I justify it? What? what yeah. Wait. 
Well, you explained to me, like, okay, because I was I was telling you they're the same exact same thing, and you you kind of well, had an answer that well maybe they're a little different. You explained how they they could be different things. What, what's your I thought? He was on being this? polite. Uh, no, I was not being polite. I was trying to figure out a way because I I immediately started thinking along this way and and um and thinking well maybe I'm maybe I'm just just I, I wasn't remembering actually that you had had done this before until Chris Markinson uh, posted saying ha ha this has been done before. Um, but basically, I was just thinking of this idea of advice is something you're telling somebody to do for a specific reason, and words of wisdom are just things that you have come to uh, through right. through the process of learning and converting that learning into um, actual action for yourself right. in, in sort of a different way. I mean, wisdom is that, that idea of something. wisdom is that idea of knowledge plus experience almost, and yes. advice advice is doing something. To, is telling something it's that somebody should do. Like, you should do this because mm-hmm. I know that you should do this. Yes. Words of wisdom might be very well, you know, saying, right. you know, milk, it's the best thing for you. And See? advice would be, you have to drink milk every day. Exactly. Totally different. Stupid See? Tom. Okay, well, Dingus did your conceptual gymnastics for you. Well, I mean, he's just saying what I – I'm holding up a mirror to society, and Dingus is shattering that mirror with logic. And you can only hold up the shards. Can I just so pick my, that, my my choices from my advice picks? Can I just carry those over to words of wisdom? Because advice is, are, is also words of wisdom, by the way. You're going to do whatever you want regardless of what <laughs> When it comes to three-by-three three topics, I've chosen. Hey, thanks, man. Kelly one, that is correct. I am going to do whatever I want. So here's what I'm going to do. Number three, because I'm I'm introducing next week's topic. Actually, aren't I? Did I screw that up? I am next week. Oh, you're right. right. Yeah. Okay. My number three words of wisdom. I'm going to give you guys the wisdom. Ready for this? And you guys see if you can guess the movie it's from. Give us the wisdom. I love that as a line. I'm going to give you the wisdom. I'm going to drop some wisdom. Here it goes. Wisdom bomb. I got a book. It's called We're All Fucked. It's a bestseller. (laughs) <laughs> All right, that's a weird choice, but a great line. It might be a little obscure. Uh, it's a bunch of guys trying really? to gather supplies after a plane wreck to try to survive. And it's oh, an actor well, that Dingus had oh. really like named. Oh, did you get it? No, go ahead. Do you know Dingus? Is it the Gray? Yeah, it's Frank Grillo. Oh. <laughs> it's this line yeah. in the Gray. Shit. He's the naysayer, and he. Uh, <laughs> and, and you know I hate Liam Neeson. The gray, and I have to admit it's a good line. Yeah, see, Liam Neeson is like, ah, oh, we gotta get supplies and stay warm, and and he's the guy. He's basically the Hudson. Like we're all gonna die, and that's that's his great line from it's that bestseller. That is a great line. That's how fucked they are because the book's selling. <laughs> all right, so Words of Wisdom, a movie that Kelly Wan particularly loved, but not as much as Dingus and I. The great. I don't know that it's wise, but it's a great line. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't see the wisdom. Tom, what is the wisdom in that? The wisdom is that sometimes we're all fucked. We're all fucked. And even though Liam Neeson is trying to, to get everyone's shit together, yeah. sometimes you are all fucked. And I apologize for making it so R-rated, but The Grey is an R-rated movie, so I can talk uh, about it. Yeah. No one under 17 should be admitted, and no one over 17. Without being accompanied by a parent or guardian. It's a very narrow... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know, there's a lot of wisdom in the Gray Kelly Wand, and I'm sh- I'm sure you know that because it's one of your favorite movies of that year. Made your top ten list, just like me and Dingus. Came out about this time that year. Yeah, the main movie makes me feel gray. Well, it's a very existential message. The voice is sh- very existential. How many shades mm-hmm. does it make you feel, Kelly? 
don't they just make a better rope when they do that? Fucking shimmy across the pines. Fucking idiots. <laughs> also, when you get eaten by, by wolves, that's not what it feels like. It's not a bunch of kids. All right? I've no. Take it from me. <laughs> I've woken up since I got to Hamburg. I've been eaten by wolves every morning. Tilly wants memoirs of being there since I got to Hamburg. Hamburgs. All right. Because what's your third favorite yeah, words really. of wisdom from a movie? All right. Here's the here's the line from it. I agree with the second part. Oh, it's good. It's the last line of the movie too. Yep. All right. So. Um, I, does Kelly Wan uh, know it, by the way? Kelly Wan, does that do anything for you? Dark Knight Rises? Give him the whole line thing. Can you do that? Well, I was going to, but I thought you would uh, get upset because you get upset when it's from a book. Um, but this what? Is, it's not from a book. Uh, because it's from somebody I'll else. Well, he's quoting a book, but that's not the – I mean the book is just part of the quote. Right. So it says, Ernest Hemingway once wrote, the world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. Oh, Gatsby. Oh, my nope. God. Oh, Kelly Wand. Kelly Wand, you should see Better movies sometimes. Too. This is we from kind of one of Tom Chick's favorite screenplays ever, uh, the movie Seven. Oh, Vinion. Seven. Vinions? <laughs> Jeez. Um, Vinions. But I particularly like the way that Morgan Freeman's Somerset Detective Somerset dispenses wisdom throughout this movie. Uh, and, um, and I separated this from advice he tries to give to, uh, Brad Pitt's Detective Mills, uh, because he, he's talking specifically about, um, this is going to keep happening. He says it early, he says it early on. This can't be my last case. This is going to keep happening. I need to get out of this. And then in a, in a later scene, when he finally, when he realizes, the picture of that uh, of greed on the floor of the lawyer's office, and the picture of gluttony carved in grease behind the refrigerator. He understands because he has this knowledge. This is where this killer is going, and this is how far it's going to go. And he tells the two of them. He tells Mills, and then he tells Arlie Army's character. We can't remember his name. He says, there's going to be five more of these. There are seven deadly sins. He tells them all of the other five deadly sins. There's going to be five more of these. This can't be my last case. I'm out of here. He's basically giving them wisdom. He's like, this is what I know. This is what I'm telling you. He's not ready for it. Goodbye. I'm out of here. I mean, he ends up. Because of what he says at the end, his that bit of wisdom, that final bit of wisdom, I agree with the second part, that the world, even though I think it is not a fine place, it is worth fighting for. That is basically telling us why he has done everything he has done in the movie, why he comes back to help Mills, why he, why he cares for him at the end and tries to stop him from doing what he's going to do, and why he looks after him at the end and says whatever he needs. And then when he's finally asked, where are you going to be? And he says, you know, I'll be around. He, he's he's supposed to leave this whole movie. He's going to leave. He's going to he's he's retiring. He's going to go far away from here. But he understands that whether he, even though he doesn't agree with what Ernest Hemingway's first part is that the world is a fine place, he he believes that it is worth fighting for. And part of that is because of of, of Mills and and Mills' wife, but also because of what happened in his life. So I think that's hard fought wisdom. All right, Dingus is number three. From the writer of Wolfman, 8mm and Sleepy Hollow, the movie Seven. 
Davis, do you know what uh, – actually, Kelly Wan, this will endear you to the writer of Seven. Do you know what movie he did immediately prior to Seven, the, the screenplay he wrote right before Seven? I do not. I, this is for Kelly Wan, actually. Uh, Dingus does not. <laughs> Kelly Wan, you and I are fond of a movie called Brain Scan, aren't we? Oh, yeah. That's Kevin Andrew Walker. <laughs> so oh. this guy does Brain Scan, and then David Fincher directs his next script. What do you think of that? Fuck. Dingus, Brain Scan is a really cheesy 80s movie. It was actually shot it's about video games. Yeah, about a video game that like kills you if you play it. It came up on our three by three of best video games that kill you, which I think was one of Kelly's topics. I love that Ke- Kevin Andrew Walker's initials spell "car." Yeah, exactly. Right. It's a it's a line from um, Bottle Rocket. Not many. I mean, not many Dingus people do that, that topic. I have no idea what Dingus did with that topic, but yes, you did best. Deaths in a best movie. De- it was something like best video games that kill you. It was something like that. Hmm. Okay. Speaking of being made to do topics, Kelly Wan, what do you have for your own topic here? Your number three words of wisdom from a movie. My number three is from the motion picture Brain Scan, in which <laughs> Doctor Fromberg says uh, to a- Michael. Edward Furlong probably has some great words of wisdom in Brain Scan. Uh, this is told to Edward Furlong by Dr. Fromberg, who goes, uh, violence is not senseless entertainment. So, oh, you actually remember lines from Brain Scan. Oh, that one really stuck with me. because a character really considered name. It. Wow. Yeah, Dr. Fromberg. So that made, that's the movie that made me want to go into... Uh, being a doctor. Well, being in a horror club. But yeah, that too. So, right. Brain scan. the name of the movie God. that they're watching is called Death, Death, Death Part Two. <laughs> it's a dumb one. So, Doctor Mind Fromm. of Kevin Andrew Williams. Very good. Yeah. Wait, are you really picking that for your number three? Yeah. Are you just waiting for us to bring up other movies that you'll then quote? <laughs> no, my other two are really good. Can we pull him over for that? For just making him up on the fly? For what are you talking about? He's a cop have... on the take. He's clearly a cop on the take. You can't just uh... do that. I, you are not my Ellen Barkin. <laughs> I am not your Dennis Quaid. All right. <laughs> That's a good line, and it's wise, and it makes you think that violence is... You just came sensitive. up with your number three right now. Is that what no. just happened? No. I had that in the chamber for a week. Yeah, whose chamber did you have it in exactly? I don't think that's the Ellen Barkin movie you mean. I think it's the... Look, uh, brain sea scan of, has I think it's Sea of Love. I think you're talking about Sea of Love. All right, I'm putting you down for brain scan, Kelly Wan. Words of brain wisdom scan, and brain scan, really? That's what you want me to do. Unbefuckingleavable. I'm going to write this. I'm writing it. Here it, go. Here it goes. Brr, you better stop me. Brain scan. I write slowly. Scan. All right. All right. Tom, I want to change my number three to The Purge Anarchy because Frank Grillo is in that. <laughs> you know what else? I So I closed my eyes for this as soon as I realized – do you know Dingus is another Purge movie? What? Yeah, yeah, the There's Purge the election and Frank Grillo yeah. is in it. I don't, I don't know who's directing. I don't know what it is when it's coming out, but we get another That's chance. Too, by the way, we get another chance at a non-crappy Purge movie with Frank Grillo, and I imagine he's got top billing. So I'm in. All right, I'm in too. Fine, I love right. Frank Grillo. Kelly One, uh, we're gonna go see that. It probably won't be opening in Germany ever because they probably don't allow Purge movies over there. Sorry. Well. 
Dr. Fromberg is a fictional character, you guys know. All right, Tom, do your number two so I can come up with my number two. Here's my number two words of wisdom from a movie. I'm going to give it to you. Ready ready for this? Here we go. I just had the clearest thought. I'm done. I'm done. That's a great line. What is it from? A a fellow named Frank Grillo says it at the end of The Grey when he has made a decision about – what his fate will be. And he just notes the scenery and he says something along the lines of, you know, when is it ever going to be better than this sitting here looking at this? And he just sits there and, spoiler, he sits there and dies. Oh, that's a beautiful moment. And as long as I had just the clearest thought, I'm done, I'm done. What do you think of that, Kelly Wand? Wow. Two words of wisdom from the gray. Both delivered by Frank Grillo, a ans- relatively ancillary character. Um, it's not as good as the other line from the gray, or my line, Doctor Bromberg's. But I'm that'll just, do, Peg. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just all about trying to get you to reappreciate how great that movie is, Kelly Wand. I know it's close. You're, it's near and dear to your heart. You're very fond. You of mean it. reappreciate great how great it is? Way too much of a stretch. Dingus, give us your number two words of wisdom from a movie. Heather Graham stretches in it. What'd you say? Nothing. I'm just talking. Sorry. Well, all right. I'm going to choose a a line from a movie uh, that was uh, one of Christopher Reeve's first movies. And this is um, God and General Dynamics. So this is from Grey Lady Down. Uh, because Tom said the gray, and that made me think of Gray Lady Dan. Right. And they, they show Jaws in that movie, so you could technically pick a line from Jaws, uh, but uh, not in Jaws, what? in Gray Lady Down. Right. Very good. So your words of wisdom, Dingus, could be, you're going to need a bigger boat. Right. Oh, that's a good one. No, that's advice, I think. Oh, no, that's, I guess that is wisdom. But advice it's is not word That's not the scene they watch. He's not saying, though. you go get a bigger boat. He's just telling him, you know, this is what I think. So I rarely get the chance to see uh, uh, TV ads because I don't watch a lot of TV. There's a few shows I watch, but I managed to see an advertisement for apparently there's a TV show based on Flash, The Flash. I don't know what his real name is. The guy who's really fast, and they're announcing that he is actually, that he's going to fight uh, like Shark Man or something. But it's a guy whose head is a shark. Kelly, one you probably know this. Is there a Shark Man that, that Flash fights? Um, the three-headed one? No, it's it's a well in this in this commercial, it's a dude with a, a, the head of a shark. Like that's his superpower, I guess. Uh, um, I don't and, get the DC guys as much. Yeah, it's DC for you. What are you going to do? Yeah. But in the commercial, they have one of the Flash's sidekicks. Actually, for all I know, it's it's the Flash himself. I don't know what he looks like. It's just a kid saying, uh, "We're going to need a bigger boat." Which, what? I know, drives me out of my mind when people misquote Jaws. Because, like you pointed out, Kelly Wand, it's funnier you're, that you're going to need a bigger boat. That's the line. Yeah. Not we're going to need a bigger boat. I'm not coming. Exactly. Brody is saying, you guys are going to drop me off, and when you do that, you're probably going to want a bigger boat. I'm not involved in this anymore. I'm out. So this we're going to need a bigger boat, as if Brody is showing solidarity for them chasing the shark down, it's strictly from people who don't understand Jaws. Yeah. That's dumb that they just got to reference that anyway. Like, that's slow-hanging fruit. Yeah. 
I All right, so Dingus, Grey Lady Down. What if you hadn't chosen Grey Lady Down, by the way? What, what, you what, didn't what, say what the line is. All right, it's not from Grey Lady Down. Um, it's okay. from a movie called Love and Death by Woody Allen. Oh, God, Wheat. Uh, no, what? Wheat. Yeah, it's his line, words of wisdom. In, in love it and is. Death. It is basically that last monologue, um, Wheat. I'm dead, and they're talking about Wheat. But it's not just that. I mean, the movie has this great sense of... Uh, and th- one of the reasons I thought of it was that thing where they're talking about the duality of man in the movie we just saw, uh, because he's he talks about that. He makes this funny joke about you know uh, the mind, uh, you know the man, the duality of man between uh, mind and body. Uh, the mind gets all these great things like poetry and philosophy, but the body gets all the fun. Um, but then he says, I mean, th- and this is the the bit of of words of wisdom and and something that has really always impacted me. And I've, this, this little bit of wisdom is something that I have always loved. Um, the important thing, I think, is not to be bitter. You know, if it turns out that there is no God, I don't think he's evil. I think the worst thing you can say about him is that basically he's an underachiever. Um, and, you know, apologies to our, uh, our very religious friends who listen to the podcast. I know a couple of people who, uh, who write to me who are fans who are pretty religious. I don't mean any offense to you, but I love that this little line, this, this line, this little word of wisdom, you know, don't be bitter. If there is a God, I don't think he's evil. I think the worst thing you can say about him is that basically he's an underachiever. And that, that thing I think of as a word of wisdom, not only based on what went what goes through the whole movie of Love and Death, which is really quite a wonderful movie that I think enough people have seen, um, is that, that that idea, you know, if God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere, uh, then, you know, w- w- what's up? <laughs> I don't see how anybody who's religious would be offended by that. Yeah, why wouldn't you... Oh. Um, because you tend to be offended if I question why God lets uh, babies be born without legs, or, or I'm thinking no, please, that's part of why being religious. A, I mean, yeah. you know, maybe if you're thinking of like fanatical Muslims who don't, you know, who would raid the offices of Charlie Hebdo or something, but I don't oh, think maybe. the average person would have any problem with that. Right. The average religious person. So you I know, think, I think calling God an underachiever would be offensive to many Christians. Well, you know, the wrong Christians. It's making fun of us, though. I did so no, because I, I think I mean that's part of like like the the tradition of thoughtful Jewish comedy, and Woody Allen is clearly a, a member of that. The Coens are a member of that. Is actually very devout in a uniquely Jewish way. I, I think you know Jews have a long tradition of uh, of study and introspection and questioning, and challenging and arguing and debating. Um, and, and there is a strain of Christianity. You're right, Dingus, which you might accuse of being blindly dogmatic. Uh, well, Jews I think even the, in Christianity that occurs, and I think the average devout person would understand what Woody Allen's getting at. I appreciate you being sensitive, but I just sort of feel that, that that's, a, that's a great word of wisdom, by the way, because it's a it's funny, A, but B, it's, it's a completely valid theological concern, Right. Uh, and Woody Allen has a lot of those. He's a funny guy, and his early thoughtful writing is is almost like classic Jewish inquiry. I love that about him. And that's what Sounds I love about true. Jewish inquiry, because you're right, Tom. They're they're supposed to do that. That's that's really a very that's a bedrock of what they do. Is they're supposed to be questioning those things. But I think Christians, at least the Christians I grew up with, were too insecure often to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. I, right. I mean, it's a, there's that tradition in Christianity too. I mean, the whole the whole concept of Bible study. I mean, the silliness of like the Bible being inerrant, but 
you know, Christians are inquisitive as well and do question things and challenge them, I think. Uh, right, right. I agree. I agree. Hmm. Kelly Wan, what are your thoughts on these religious discussions? Uh, and if you have any, if you don't have any, then what's the word of wisdom from a movie maybe you could give us? Um, it's probably more interesting. To... <laughs> maybe the words of wisdom would somehow apply to the topic. It's less gibberish, what I'm about to say. Are you hit, ready? Hit us. Okay, name the movie this is from. Can't wait. <clears throat> to be blessed with unusual features is an adventure. Brain scan. <sighs> oh. oh, I'm sorry. Was I not taking you seriously? <laughs> Blue Jasmine? <sighs> Manhattan? Annie Hall? It might be. Here's a legitimate guess. Basket case? Mm, good effort. Okay. It's from Garbage Pail Kids movie. How could I have missed that? Man. Blessed with unusual features is an adventure. There's no Garbage Pail Kids movie. There's little toss cards. There's yeah. a movie based on those things. Yeah, one of them vomits all the time. Man, I almost guessed SpongeBob. <laughs> Does Matt Berry make an appearance in a Garbage Pail Kid movie? Because if so, I will watch it. I'm not going to play your little games, <laughs> Clem Fandango. Yes, I can hear you, Clem Fandango. <laughs> Uh, morning Zoo. <laughs> if it's Matt Berry, it's not Morning Zoo. That elevates it, Kelly Wand. Interesting. Matt Berry sound bites, definitely not Morning Zoo. We're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> Flash. Right, are you guys those. ready for my favorite words of wisdom from a movie? Are we yeah. ever? I was hoping to do a, a, like a trifecta of Frank Rillo lines from the gray. I couldn't quite manage it. So here's an earnest one. Got that profound. Here's the line, the words of wisdom. An earnest one. Fuck it, I'll do it myself. <laughs> that, and that was the word. That's not dumber that than the stuff I've said. That wasn't just me saying something. That was the actual words of wisdom. And, by the way, and speaking of religious inquiry, anyone? All right. This is said. These are the. This is actually, I think, the very last line. Wait, can move. I guess? Yes, go ahead. When the guy gets his leg caught and he's going to drown, um, and he's all, hey, can you move my foot for me? Doesn't Liam Neeson go, fuck it, I'll move it myself. You're close. This is Liam Neeson saying that line. All right. And it's his final line in the gray. So he has this outburst where he's like, you know, you sanctimonious prick, if you're there, do something. Do something. I need it now. I need you to do something yeah. for me now. And he's, he's literally screaming at the sky. Uh, this classic, you know, show me you're there moment. And Joe Carnahan lets it play out. Super close up on Liam Neeson's face. He has this outburst. It's a great little monologue. He falls silent and the, the light literally goes out of his eyes because of the angle, the way he like slightly tilts his head. It's an amazing shot. And then he just mutters, fuck it, I'll do it myself. And it segues into the last scene of The Grey. That actually is kind of profound. It, I, see how good The Grey is, Kelly Wand? Yeah, I just don't like how they got there. I don't like the journey to that moment. Well, I just want to watch the one two second part. <laughs> All right. So What's my the whole... idea of making claws out of cocktail bottles is fucking cool. Like that's a good idea. Yeah, and, he's in, and it's not going to have any effect. He's still going to die. Yeah. So there you go. So I just my whole yeah my words of wisdom, Kelly Wand, are that the gray is awesome, and you're wrong to not like it as much as me and Dingus. 
There you go. Cocktail bottle thing. I guess that's a good point, Tom. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I just hope you've learned something tonight. Yeah, I sound. I feel pretty educated. Think right, what are your favorite words of wisdom from a movie? All right, here's a quote from it, and and this is the words of wisdom from this movie. <laughs> You're going to find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly upon our own point of view. Uh, Matrix Revolutions? I totally know this line, don't I, Dingus? Yeah. From Dead Gummit. Revenge of the Sith. No, I bet it's going to be something I really like, too. Dead Gummit, Dingus. Paths of Glory. Is it something I really like, Dingus? You do a kill. Oh, did you say no? No, it's not something you like. Oh, good. Haha, in that case, I'm glad I don't know what it is. (laughs) Shampoo. So far, Kelly's closest. Let me go ahead and... uh, say the first word of the line that I didn't say before. Luke, you're going to find that many of the truths that we cling to depend greatly upon our own point of view. Cool hand, Luke? No. Um, Kelly said Revenge of the Sith. It's from Return of the Jedi, actually. Um, I'm sure it's from Cool Hand Luke as well. I think they say that at some point in that movie. So there's a great exchange where uh, in Return of the Jedi, Luke goes back to the deck of the system to uh, watch um, Yoda have his final repose and uh, goes out to his uh, to talk to R2 for a moment and go, I can't do it, R2, I can't do it. And then Ben comes walking out of the forest, all clothed in glowing halos. And uh, and Luke immediately goes after him and says, "Why didn't you tell me, you jerk? You said that, that Vader murdered my father. What's up with you?" Um, and <laughs> Obi Wan does this whole weird mental gymnastics where he says, "Well, what happened was this and that and the other, and so you know he kind of was murdered by him. Um, so what I told you was true from a certain point of view." And then Luke says, "A certain point of view." And Obi-Wan kind of takes a moment and goes, Luke, you're going you're gonna to find that most of the truths we cling to depend greatly upon our own point of view. And Luke kind of takes a moment. And the reason this is my favorite word of wisdom is because of how my parents basically reacted to it. Uh, and I, you know, I've told you guys before, and I revealed this a little bit in how I dealt with the love and death quote and was trying to self-pedal it. Um, I, my parents at this point in my life were, uh, you know, pretty conservative fundamentalist Christians. Uh, so when that line came up and I was really fascinated by that, this idea that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly upon our own point of view seemed like a fascinating bit of philosophy to me. And I was interested in that. And I talked to my mother about that and, and both my mother and my stepfather said, no, there's objective right and wrong. Truth does not depend on your point of view. It depends on yes or no. And the Bible tells you it's, it's these things. It's black and white. That's it. Truth does not depend on your own point of view. Um, but I love that bit of wisdom from Obi-Wan telling Luke, look, I told you what you needed to know at the time, basically. So truth does depend on your own point of view. Uh, and I, 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 I'm giving that in earnest. I'm not making a joke. Um, that bit of Return of the Jedi, when, tell, when Kelly said we're doing words of wisdom, was the first thing that popped into my mind. All right, so Dingus is a denier of objective reality. <laughs> yeah. That is true. Yeah, truth does not depend on your point of view. I, I disagree with – okay, I should say, by the way, this words of wisdom from the writer of Willow, Star Wars The Christmas Special, and The Phantom Menace. <laughs> oh, but as a kid, hearing that and then seeing like the, the debate that my parents were going through, I loved, I loved kind of learning that, and, and that kind of made my mind expand a little bit. And then you became an adult. 
Ding. <laughs> now, I mean, after you left that behind, yes. Yeah. That's like the worst line from any of them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you're okay, if that's your bar, <laughs> is stuff I said. <laughs> the funny thing is, though, Ding, is that line, by the way, you could use to, like, like I don't mean to Godwin this, but Hitler could use that, by the way, to justify the Holocaust. <laughs> like, if you believe the truth depends on your point of view, then there is there is no morality, there's no objective yeah. reality, and well, anything goes. That's no, a terrible I, I thing to teach a kid. <laughs> I, I disagree. I, I disagree that you have to go to that to that length. Um, I totally disagree with that. Do you disagree that there's an objective reality? Like, well, do you think that the reality is subjective? That, that there is nothing that's real. That's another line from a Woody Allen movie, by the way. <laughs> you know what, Dingus? We're going to take that up on the Quarter Three Philosophy Podcast. You and I. Let's do that. We're going to have a whole issue. I can't believe what I'm hearing. I can't believe it. Well, Wand, what's even wiser than that Like, I'm supposed to be the goofball, (laughs) which I thought was fine. And Dingus just slams that. Yeah. Reality, whatever. All right. Getting back to my words of wisdom, which will hopefully help Dingus learn things. About the world he lives in. Uh, I was trying to think of, for my number one, um, something that's considered a very unprofound line and trying to find profundity in it. And so uh, I have Forrest Gump when he said, life's like a box of chocolates. I was trying to think how that's true. And what I came up with was it is like a box of chocolates. It's heart shaped, boxy, kind of a scam. There's a lot of biting. The good parts are mostly hidden and last briefly. Most of it ends up in the trash. It's full of nuts and you get both of them on Valentine's Day since that's the day most of us are conceived. Wait, you wrote your own words of wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And you criticized Jedi. Awesome. No, just you. All right, well, Kelly, what do the listeners have? Try to, uh, and, and if you can, maybe sort of uh, do some selective reading, because we have a, a, a fair amount to get to with our, our fun drive. So, so give us an overview of what the listeners have written in about their favorite words of wisdom. Well, was this All a popular right. topic, by the way? Because it can go. Um, I imagine you could pretty much submit anything. I basically, like this could basically take your favorite movie. What's your favorite line from that movie? There, that's a pick. Well, that's what I did for my number one. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a surprisingly popular one because I agree it's kind of a stupid topic. So the listeners still wrote in because they are uh, better than us. Well, it's easier when you don't have something super specific. I mean, this is a, a fun opportunity to talk about. Well, so we get new listeners and then they didn't get a chance to do advice. So now they get. Well, believe me, next week we're going to be going to something super specific. So I'll oh. be I'll be redressing this issue. I guess I see it as you're, it's it's all meant to be fun, and you see it as no, it's meant to be. Uh, no, this is serious events. critical inquiry, Kelly Wan. This oh, isn't about fun. What's the matter with you? Right. Day by three, it's serious. <laughs> Paul Chenevere writes, "Hello, there, longtime listener, first time emailer." Wow, what's his last name? Chenevere. Pretty it's awesome. got that carrot over the e. What? Awesome! Wow. Paul Chenevere. I hope, hope I'm not mispronouncing it. Long time listener, first time emailer. I assuming he, is he talking to us or himself? 
we do not email ourselves, so I presume so he means himself. he summer so I haven't done any research on words of wisdom in movies. <laughs> Leave that to me. But three movies quickly came to mind. Number three, Cinderella, the 2015 one. Uh, before giving up the ghost, Cinderella's mom tells her daughter that the secret to life is to have courage and be kind. On the one hand, it's something I wish I'd actually believe wholeheartedly, but on the other, it also works as Chekhov's motto. At the end of the ball scene, Cinderella tells the king his son the prince loves him very much and that he's good and brave, synonyms for her family motto. This convinces the king to give his son his blessing to go look for that weird chick that crashed their party. Number two, Seventh Son. So Jeff Bridges, the wizard, hands his disciple a flask and tells him to never have more than one sip of this a day. The oh my god, I already love Paul Shinovir's number two sip. <laughs> I wish I could see it. Never have more than one sip of this a day. Why not? Because it's mine. That's why. Okay, this isn't really a word of wisdom, but it's just a funny moment. It shows how untrustworthy wizard Jeff Bridges' advice really is. It's awesome, Paul Shinovir. Number one, Tropic Thunder. Never go full retard. This one's become a bit of an internet insult, but it was used in a specific context in the movie. So the first-rate method actor played by Downey Jr. tells the second-rate actor played by Stiller to never go full retard, which means that playing the role of a mentally handicapped person that nonetheless has some exceptional skill is basically Oscar bait, Rain Man, Forrest Gump. But playing a mentally handicapped person with no spectacular skill is not so great. I am Sam. Keep up the good work, Paul Chenevere. Thomas Obenhaus writes, first time writing in, I hope I'm doing this right. Not everything has to be about something. Oh, oh I know that. Shoot, I totally know that. Dead comment. You Dingus, should. Do you know that one? Go ahead, Kelly. Do you know what Dingus? Uh, Dingus does. I can hear it in his voice. <sighs> yeah, it's from the rover, right? Yeah. This line from the rover probably best represents the movie. By saying not everything has to be about something, Ray's actually saying something in a movie that seems as if it's about nothing, but turns out to be very specifically about something. I hope that makes sense. The rover shows how actions interactions may be utterly meaningless for some, but for others, they have all the meaning in the world. I know this is personal. That's how you'll fail. No speeches, no talking. You point the gun, you shoot the gun. Ben Gaffney from Blue Ruin. A quote oh. about leaving emotions oh, out. I never saw getting that. Getting the job done. I didn't either. He's got a movie out, come, uh, The Green Room. I don't know much about it, but it's getting a lot of buzz with Anton Yelchin. It's like a, a horror movie. I'm super psyched for this guy. Jeremy mm. Saulnier is his name, I believe. Hmm. But yeah, you guys have both did Blue Ruin. <laughs> I right, started it. It was really good. Yeah, yeah, Blue Ruin is awesome. So what does happened. Thomas say about it? Uh, Blue Room goes on to show why it would have been worthwhile for the character Dwight to have listened to Ben. This line's so great because almost everything done by the main character in Blue Ruin is practical, thought-out, deliberate, especially considering it all centers around the very personal act of getting revenge. Life is pain. We've got to scrape the joy from it every chance we get. Rod Kimball from Hot Rod. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Rod says this line after breaking 10 to 20 bones minimum while pulling off a stunt to raise funds for his stepfather's conveniently priced heart surgery. At this point in the movie, Rod's life is literally pain, but he's able to get joy from the knowledge that he saved his stepfather's life so he could later go on to attempt to beat his stepfather to death so that his stepfather will respect it. This might not be the best example of words of wisdom, but I just really like the movie. If I'm allowed to sneak in an honorable mention, do or do not, there is no try. Thanks for the show and keep up the good work. Even that's wrong. There is a try, by the way. Yeah, 
Yoda's always fucking with you. What a jerk. He's a good life coach, though. Like, you want to make him happy. And if you're going to carry someone on your back, if any Star Wars character, either C-3PO, Tim Elhodge. Hey, man, this is the first time I've written in. Really? Oh, Tim. Tim's never written in before? Oh, I feel like he has. I think this week's 3 by 3 is for wisdom in a movie. The first thing that popped into my head was Unforgiven. Clint walks into a crowded bar, asks who owns the place, and then shoots the guy. Gene Hackman says, you, sir, are a coward. You just shot an unarmed man. Clint says, well, he should have armed himself. <laughs> if he wants to go around decorating his bar with my friend. Clint is exacting retribution for the murder of one of his friends, but it's just such a wonderful defection of Hackman's criticism, so blunt and obvious that it makes me smile each time I watch it. Uh, it is a great line. Shaheen Ali writes, Dear QT3ers, indulge me. My answers are presented as a quiz. Three, one word plastics. Uh, it's from The Graduate. Advice about investing, employment, who knows? Number two, use the force, Luke. <laughs> See, I guess. Oh, crap. Shaheen Ali. Shaheen oh, Ali. Man, I totally forgot to. Uh, Talk about all the things he said about Hail Caesar. Damn it. Just say it right now really quick. No, I'm not going to do that. I'll I'll post them on the front page because Shaheen had so many interesting ideas about the movie. Uh, Like like many of us, he didn't know quite what to think about it, but he had some really interesting ideas um, about uh, Eddie Maddox being the star and not George Clooney's character. So anyway, I'm really sorry, Shaheen. I totally forgot. Anyway, go ahead, Kelly. Yeah, he's the star. I agree with him. Right. Star Wars uh, New Hope, advice for Luke to shun technology and embrace his feelings. Uh, number one, there is no spoon. Oh, I love this one. That's my favorite line from The Matrix. Am I dumb? That's me, Kelly, saying that. Asking if he's dumb. Uh, advice New uses on top of an elevator while rescuing Morpheus. Thanks for the great podcast. Keep up the good work. There is no spoon. Arthur Giovanni Jelly, number three, I'll tell you a secret. The last act makes a film. Wow them in the end and you got a hit. You can have flaws, problems, but wow them in the end and you've got a hit. Wise words from Brian Cox to Nicolas Cage in Adaptation. Such a great exchange between these two characters that the movie eventually succeeds in wowing us in the end. Number two, it's a hell of a thing, killing a man. Take away all he's got and all he's ever going to have. William Money shares wisdom gained from his violent past with the aspiring gunslinger in Unforgiven. Number one, I think there's too much talk about sins and not enough about virtues. I think forgiveness has been highly underrated. In Calvary, I haven't seen it yet, so I'm scared to keep reading. Brennan Gleeson says these wise words to his daughter, played by Kelly Riley, while they talk on the phone. This movie's full of wisdom, but this exchange really stuck with me. It's very hard to truly forgive, and I love the way this quote captures that. Dave Perkins, in What We Do in the Shadows, Nick, who has been a vampire for only a few weeks. <laughs> what We Do in the Shadows? I haven't seen that movie. I haven't either. Crickets from Tom on that one. It's a yeah. mockumentary about vampires with uh, the guy who well, plays uh, Jermaine Clement, the guy from Flight of the Concords. Oh, oh, is it good? Yeah, it's cute. I mean, yeah. You never mentioned it. So that puts it in cute territory. I mean, it's not great, but it's got some great moments. And the best part is a, a an actor from Flight of the Concords who plays their manager, uh, an actor named Reese Darby. Oh, I love that uh, guy. 
Yeah, he's, yeah, he has an awesome appearance uh, as the leader of a pack of werewolves that they run into. <laughs> and his whole his whole thing is he doesn't want them to cuss because they're werewolves, not swearwolves. <laughs> uh, so he's playing the same character. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. I just love his voice. I think his is my favorite accent on Flight of the Concords. Yeah, yeah he's kind of the money. Uh, and what we do in the shadows, Nick, who's been a vampire for only a few weeks, pops a chip into his mouth, and another vampire says, I wouldn't eat that. I haven't heard you sausages discuss this movie, so in case you haven't seen it, I won't tell you what happens when Nick ignores this advice. That one's from Michelle, or that one's from me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that one's from me. Michelle would like to submit the uh, the advice that Cab Calloway gives to the Blues Brothers. You get wise, you get, you get to church. <laughs> um, did we just get called sausages? Yeah. All right. From Dave Perkins, of all people. Yep. That's downright sexist. We deserve that. It's a total sword fight, this podcast. Cathcart, right? Oh, Cathcart. You maniac. Goonies? Jesus. Kelly, here are my picks for this week's 3 by 3 Number three. Everybody knows you never go full retard. Tony Stark and Tropic Thunder. I love it when the listeners gravitate to something like, oh yeah, wisdom. Yeah. The retard line. Number two, you want to catch wolves, you need wolves. Dwayne the Harrison Ford Johnson in Fast Six. <laughs> you want to catch wolves, you need wolves. Remember, remember when we debated that line? Yeah. You don't catch wolves with wolves. Do you? You want to catch wolves, you need wolves. They're flanking us. You want to catch wolves, you need wolves. It's huh. fucking weird. I mean, number one, time takes everybody out. Time's undefeated. Stallone and Creed. Colton W. Westrate writes... A little tricky to separate words of wisdom from advice, <laughs> but I think I got one. Commenting on the quality of food available when foraging in the Australian bush, Mick, Crocodile, Dundee, has these words to share. Well, you can live on it, but it tastes like shit. Later on, when Sue's brought Mick to New York, she throws the same words of wisdom back at him as he samples a hot dog. You guys rock. Colton. <laughs> So, another sausage reference to us there, Dingus. <laughs> Robert Perry Cruis writes, Hi guys, here are three words of wisdom I do my best to live by each day. Number three, fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life. <laughs> <laughs> the crusty old deed from Animal House may be trying to put down our heroes, but he really has a point. I try to avoid at least one of those things every day. <laughs> Remember in Caddyshack when Chevy Chase asked uh, Danny Noonan, you take drugs, Danny, and he's all every day, and then Chevy's all good. Number two, I'm bad and that's good. I will never be good, and that's not bad. There's no one that I'd rather be than me. These words of wisdom from the bad Anon support group in Wreck-It Ralph serve as a reminder that it's not our role in life, but our actions that define us. Number one, who's more foolish, the fool or the one who follows him? <laughs> See, he's wiser. <laughs> I don't think well, you guys paid you know, attention. I don't think you paid attention truth, to my quote. 
Yeah, maybe you're right. I guess I'm starting to rethink that. The, the truths we cling to. We're I'm talking about objective truth. The truths we cling to. Hello. Look at the, the quote. Truth, we you guys need to. Hold- <laughs> the, truth, the truth that follows that truth. Are you? Was Obi Wan from Liverpool all of a sudden? Ugh. Truer words have never been spoken when Ben Kenobi takes Han Solo to task during their daring escape from the Death Star in Star Wars. I remind my wife of this saying every day in regards to our marriage. <laughs> That's sweet. Even if she doesn't appreciate hearing it, I hope you guys do. Thanks for the casting of pods, Rob Perry Cruis. <laughs> Markardson writes, Hey guys, here's some of my favorite words of wisdom in movies. Number three. Do not try and bend the spoon. That's impossible. Instead, only try to realize the truth. There is no spoon. In The Matrix, Neo's at the apartment of the Oracle when he sees a child pick up a spoon and bend it. The child hands Neo the spoon and imparts the words of wisdom. Number two, they fuck you at the drive-thru. <laughs> Lethal weapon two. Joe Pesci gets tuna instead of a steak sandwich from the drive-thru and shares this little bit of wisdom with Riggs and Murtaugh. Uh, that's a great one. Number one... On a long enough timeline, the survival rate for everyone drops to zero. In Fight Club, Edward Norton's character says this in a voiceover as he looks at the burned-out wreck of a car. Do you know there's a doomsday prediction? Like, there's a 95% chance that we'll go extinct by in 9,000 years. Thanks, guys. Chris. Okay, that's the last one. All right. Are you guys ready for – oh, runners up. No, let's do the fun right. Next week for the podcast, uh, the three by three topic that I want you guys to come up with: your favorite cab rides. We saw a cab ride in Deadpool. You can't pick that. I'm taking that off the table. Uh, and it just occurred to me: hey, there's lots of movie scenes in cabs, lots of movie cabs. So I want your favorite cab rides, taxi cab rides. Send those in to three x three at quarter to three spelled out dot com. We'd love to read them on the air. Next week we'll be seeing. A movie that you guys have chosen. Oh, my God. All right, so I am going to now read the list. We had – I'm a little disappointed. We almost had 100 movies submitted. We had 99. (laughs) We came so close to 100 (laughs) movies. What I am now going to do is read you a list of 99 movies and then tell you how many votes each one got. Um we are hugely grateful to you guys. You all rock. We made – we basically – we did this – how many years ago did we do it last time? Three. Two. Two, Two years? Three years? Well, we basically made twice as much. You guys are incredibly generous, and it's it's just been really encouraging. Uh, the comments you write, I wish I could read everybody's comment because uh, most of you – not only did you pick a movie, you explained like why you picked it. And a lot of times it was something like um, – you know, I know Dingus loves this movie, so I'm picking it. And I feel bad, so I'm doing this one for Kelly, and here's one for Tom, too. Uh, so just a lot of little personal comments. You guys are so generous, so awesome. So bear with me now. I'm going to read 99 movies and then tell you how many votes each one got. Ugh. Here we go. With one vote each, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Agera Wrath of God, Das Boot, Goon, Ice Pirates... It's a mad, 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 mad world. Leviathan. And we had some debate about whether or not that's the Russian one or the Peter Weller one. Uh, I would have to check. 
Uh, Bruce Garrick, you know what? Bruce Garrick picked it, so it's obviously the Russian one. Uh, <laughs> Martyrs, No Way Out, Runaway Train, Ski Patrol, Smoking the Bandit 2, Snowtown Murders, Sophie's Choice, Spotlight, Summer School, Syriana, The Dark Valley. With two votes each, Commando on the Front Line, a document. Ah! Uh, my cat's eating my birthday cake. Hold on. Oh my god. You know. <laughs> Words of wisdom. <laughs> Number yeah. two. Uh, you know How what? many votes did my cat see to my birthday cake? Here, you know what? You started on it. Finish it. Here, here, here. That's my favorite Gary Marshall. Oh, no, uh, Dick Van Dyke uh, Disney movie. I'll just I can't believe out. Gary Marshall hasn't made birthday yet. With two votes each, Three. Commando on the front line, a documentary, Ghost in the Shell, the Battle of Algiers, things to do in Denver when you're dead. With five votes each, a Serbian film, film, Battlefield Earth, Battleship Potemkin, Bend It Like Beckham, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, Heat, and Wings of Desire. With six votes, Turbo Kid. With eight votes, Interstellar. With ten votes each, Better Luck Tomorrow, Big Trouble in Little China, The Bothersome Man, Days of Heaven, The Duke of Burgundy, Forbidden Planet, Hateful Eight, Kafka, Lawrence of Arabia, Love and Pain and the Whole Damn Thing, Nacho Libre, The One I Love, Phantasm, The Prestige, Primer, Thin Red Line, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, True Romance, World of Tomorrow, and Wreck-It Ralph. (laughs) With 15 votes each, AI, Artificial Intelligence, Alien, Armageddon, Corvette Summer, It's Such a Beautiful Day, Purple Rain. With 17 votes, Chinatown. With 20 votes each, Bad Day at Black Rock, The Best of Times, Magic Mike XXL, Spirited Away, The Craft, The Isle, The Witch, Zapped. With 25 votes each, 12 Monkeys, American Psycho, Halloween, Master and Commander, I didn't write this down, but I think it's like Master Commander, The Far Side of the World. You're right. (laughs) A lot of extra words in that one. Once Upon a Time in the West and Wild. With 30 votes each, Black Dynamite, Hired Hand, The Passenger, and The Damned United. I think the the fellow who – I don't know if people mind if I mention what they voted for, but Arthur Giovanginelli was one of the guys who picked The Damned United. And he basically wrote, uh, it's, uh, it's, you guys need to do a sports movie. So he picked that. <laughs> All right. Probably. That's good. We did good. With 35 votes, <laughs> The Hunt for Red October. Mm, sports. With 50 votes, Calvary, Day Trippers, Iron Man, and something, what? a 2003 Hungarian movie called Control. He specified oh. that to distinguish it from the other Control. Uh, Pumpkin, Runaway, Who Am I? (laughs) With 55 votes each, 2001 Space Odyssey, Jaws, and Strutzek. What? With 60 votes, Army of Shadows, Blue is the Warmest Color, The Long Goodbye, Seventh Seal. With 65 votes, you guys can guess who this one's for, Midnight Run. Uh, With 70 votes, you can probably guess who this one's for as well. Crank, High Voltage, uh, Stoker, Zulu, 
with 79 <laughs> votes because it was made in 1979, I think. The fellow who donated wrote in parentheses 1979, 79 votes, $79 for Andre Tarkovsky's Stalker. Oh, right. Which I think is three hours black and white and Russian, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. With 95 (laughs) votes from separate people, by the way, something called Wild Tales. And they had to point out the, I presume, Spanish name, which is Relatos Salvejas. I don't even know what that is, but there are a couple of people very fond of it. No worries. With 160 votes. Brick. What? Love that. Maniacs. Me too. Markinson. With 545 Uh. votes. Uh. Collaborative, but mainly, and I don't want to call anyone out, there's one guy who really wanted us to see Goon, bless his heart, Goonies. Goon. Did I say Goon? Goonies. 554 votes. So, Kelly Wong, open a web browser right now. All right. The the web browser is open. Type in the words random.org. Random. Oh, my gosh. All right. Now, do you see in the little field where it gives you a lower and higher number? It Uh, says min and max, Tom. Yes. So for min, put one. All right. It's already there. For max. Oh, yeah, right. You actually don't have to put that. (laughs) Uh, For max, put. And this is the amount of money we made. You guys are – you listeners are awesome for this. We made – you guys donated, and this is so touching. You guys donated two thousand seven hundred and fifty-six dollars to us, and that's just—I'm just moved. I mean, thank you guys so much. So Kelly Wand, in Max, type two seven five six. Two seven five six. So just to verify, min is one, max is two seven five six, right? I'm too dumb to fuck this up. Okay, so Kelly Wan is going to hit, and it's going to give us a random number, and then I have a range starting with the most to the, the least money on a spreadsheet, all of the movies, and I'm going to work my way down, whatever the number is. If, for instance, if it's between 1 and 554, it's Goonies. Anything over 554, right. it starts working its way down the other. We, By the way, we did all the math before the podcast. We all three went over it, checked it, made sure it worked out. I caught a mistake. Kelly Wong caught a mistake. Dingus caught a, a couple of mistakes. I mean, there were. Mis- I, I was doing the math. These guys helped me, so it checked out in the end. So Kelly Wong, lots of mistakes. Give us the number. So I will now hit the thing that says generate. Oh god! Oh god! Does anyone have any last words before I do it? Like uh, you know, speeches. I guess that's what you just did. What were the last words Liam Neeson says in *The Gray*? Uh, fuck it, I'll do it myself. Fuck it, I'll do it myself. <laughs> and 317. Fuck! <laughs> Damn it! Motherfucker. Shit. Oh, man. <laughs> Did we roll? They got us. They freaking got us. Do we have... Do we have do we any talk? Does anybody That's have a re-rolling power in this? Group? So, by the way, I just I I feel folks won't mind. So, the three people who supported Goonies. By the way, one of them, I I feel like I did the right thing. So, the two people who specified they wanted Goonies. One was Mike Cathcart. One was Robert Perry Cruz. Uh, uh, a fellow named Brian Talbot. He specified that his donation should go to what 
was most popular. Like, oh. and now I didn't know if that meant the most votes or the most people voting for it. If it was the most people voting for it, I don't think any movie got more than two people. Yeah, there uh. no, there was no movie that like three people agreed on. So, Brian, I hope I didn't screw up by putting your votes towards the most supported. I didn't know if that's what you meant. Um, See, if we'd put Goonies at the end, though, of the spreadsheet. I know, but we said, you know, I, yeah. If we put Goonies at the end, we probably would have, we would have been seeing, you know, something like Big Trouble in Little China or Alien or Corvette Summer. But we're so not. But most requested sounds like it might be a Meg Ryan rom-com. Maybe most requested is an actual movie. Ah, good point. Good point. Well, I will so I say... I a screenshot of the number, so... I will say... You know what? Very good, Kelly Wan. Yes. Hit F12 or whatever it is. This, I'm sorry. That's if you have Steam open. Oh, I can't uh, believe this actually happened. The oh goddess. And the thing is, I was like, oh, that's cute. I mean, I, I feel bad that he's so... Well, last time the big... Yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah, the numbers... So, you know what? Sometimes math works. <laughs> Sometimes... <laughs> So all told, words you know, of wisdom. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, Goonies had support. So out of basically rounding off like twenty out of twenty seven hundred dollars, five hundred of them were towards Goonies. So that's basically what a twenty percent chance or so. So Goonies had good odds. Like 50. you said it before, it's all you're fair. right. One of two things is going to happen. It either was going to be chosen or it wasn't. Of those two things, there's a hundred percent chance. hundred divided by two. There's a 50% chance it was going to be Goonies. It was always that way. Oh, my yeah. God. I can't believe that happened. Uh, Kelly Wan, do you know if Goonies is available in Hamburg, Germany? Oh, no. we got to redraw. <laughs> <laughs> in that case, Kelly Wan, you just watch Goon. Genius and I will do Goonies. I accidentally erased the screenshot. I think we believe you. I don't think anybody would believe that you that we uh, jiggered the results or we gerrymandered it towards the Goonies. Wait, what's the second number? I want to do a mock roll. What's the second number? Yeah, what's oh the total? We uh, there were a total of uh, two thousand seven hundred and sixty-five dollars donated to us. And Kelly, one no mock rolls. We got a three seventeen. I'm just. Right. I don't even. I don't even want to know. I don't even. Yeah, I don't want to know. Yeah, let's not. What if it's Goonies again? I don't care. I, it's the Goonies one. I should time. That's all that counts. Kelly, one. I now command you to close your web browser. All right. All right. <laughs> so, listeners, watch Goonies because. I, so Dick it was two sixteen, by the way. <laughs> Kelly, one. Kelly, we told you no. You're fired. It's you're fired, it's, but only after you've had to watch Goonies for next week's podcast. I've written a Goonies opsis. You also way. you also uh, have to watch Brain Scan and Garbage Pail Kids as well. How the hell am I going to find Goonies? Please, in Germany? Are you kidding? Yeah, I, I imagine most people own a copy of Goonies in Germany. Yeah, just yeah. just go over to your neighbor's house and knock on the door. I love the idea that Kelly Wan might have to buy it. <laughs> Kelly Wan is going to have to own a copy of Goonies on DVD. <laughs> All right, so we'll be discussing Goonies. We will be watching it. So, Kelly, have you actually seen Goonies? I saw it when I was a kid. Yeah, because Dingus and I have never even seen it. And what? I think this is why we get grief about it. Is that's yeah, why I, I got picked. That's that's part of what is going on. Yeah, because anytime you tell someone you haven't seen Goonies, their reaction tends to be, "What? What's wrong with you? How did you miss huh? that?" What? <laughs> Which so. I think is a really dumb reaction, but well, you know, Goonies was a super popular kids movie. I mean. Was it? Yeah, I know, but that was the f- that like that's the number one choice. 
Well, wasn't it Dingus? Like, you know what? Let's have more talk of this next week. Yeah, let's, we? we'll just we'll we'll table this, and I'll I'll so, take responsibility because it was my joke. I think that led to this. No, because I remember us talking about like, w- didn't we even have a riff where like we were talking about our generation's Goonies was young Sherlock Holmes? Like this, <laughs> I think this goes way back on this podcast. Us yeah. not getting Goonies. Yeah, I've got plenty to say about this. Let's well, we will be that. saying it next week. <sighs> Listeners, this, this, behold what you have wrought. <laughs> <laughs> next week's podcast will be on Goonies. We will do a three-by-three three of cab oh, rides. Oh, oh. If you have any thoughts about Goonies, because obviously it means a lot to some of you, uh. send those thoughts in to 3x3 at quarter3.com. We would love to incorporate your comments or questions into the podcast uh, and send us your favorite cab rides. And, uh Yeah. There you go. Join us for that next week. Jesus. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Mlitzlowski. It's Christian Murawski. It's exactly the same thing I said. And Kelly Wand. You crazy Dr. Jones. I have this like weird feeling, like as if it had been the last election and Mitt Romney had won. Like, right. I just kind of feeling this weird. Oh my God, what happened? Like the, the Koch brothers won it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's Superman three, Richard Donner. So yeah, it's not like. Uh... Pre-lethal weapon. Wait. Right. A mirthless chuckle. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make. <laughs> I forgot to do that. Pretend that happened during the raffle. With the twer so simple. Cody's. <laughs> Cody's. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> Jesus.